Podcast. I'm Patrick Rapol, and right now we have a very special episode for you. Um, I, you know, over the course of October, I listened to several different podcasts, uh, sort of horror specials, um, and uh, a lot of them, you know, they had a listener send in their favorite movies, and then they would rank them depending on what got the most votes, and they would talk about them, and it was really disappointing because all of these lists ended up being sort of the same thing. Um, they always ended up just being topped with The Thing, Alien, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, The Shining. It's always the same movies talked about. And horror is a crazy genre that goes all over the place tonally and just, you know, all over the world and all over different eras. And there's so much great stuff out there. And why limit it to that same list of 20 movies? So I actually implored uh, our listeners to send in uh, emails with their top 10 favorite horror movies but the catch was they could not include some uh, a list of classics that I had already uh, written out. And so these films you will not be hearing discussed on this episode. The Exorcist, The Thing by John Carpenter, Alien, Dawn of the Dead by George Romero, Halloween by John Carpenter, Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, The Shining, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, An American Werewolf in London, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Toby Hooper, Carrie by Brian De Palma, Jaws, Frankenstein by James Whale, Nosferatu by F.W. Murnau, Scream, Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, Evil Dead 2, The Fly by David Cronenberg, Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, and Silence of the Lambs. And the, 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 the films where I mentioned the director is to emphasize that 
those films that were remade or in fact were remakes, um, the other ones are still valid. Um, I don't think anyone actually like sent in the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake or the Psycho remake, but uh, they were on the table. And uh, what we got back was a crazy diverse list of movies. Um, and it was exactly what I was hoping for when I started it. Uh, so uh, it, it honestly was intimidating. It was too much for me. I couldn't take it. So I had to call in a ringer. Um, Gabe Powers, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, Gabe Powers, of course, um, writes for DVD Active. He's also written for our site. Blood and Crips uh, was the column he wrote. He is, uh, without a doubt, a, a horror movie expert. Um, so we're going to go through these movies. Um, uh, me and Gabe, and we're going to be talking about them. Now, uh, we've arranged them based on how many votes each got. Um, the the movies with the most votes ended up getting five, and uh, th- those were two films that got five votes. And uh, <laughs> movies that got one vote, uh, there was 127 of them. So again, very diverse list, very little consensus among you guys, which is you know amazing. Um, and not just you. I mean, I put in a, a top 10 list. Gabe put in a top 10 list. Jim put in a top 10 list. Um, and our votes didn't count any more than anyone else's. So basically the way we're going to do this is we're going to start with all the movies that got one vote. Uh, we're going to talk about them very briefly, like 20 seconds or something like that. Um, we're going to go through them in chronological order. Then we'll go with the movies that got two votes. There was 21 of those. And then the movies got three votes. And then the movies that got four votes. And the movie, and then the two movies got five votes. So we're going to be going through them uh, based on popularity, and we're going to be going through them in chronological order. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there's going to be some movies that I submitted that we're only going to get to talk about for 20 seconds. So, um, And then on top of that, uh, Gabe, you also have a list, uh, which is uh, 10, 10 horror movies that you predicted accurately would not show up on this list but are worth seeing. Yes. So they're not like, you know, the best movies, but – they're worth seeing. Yeah. And so uh, after all that, we can you can hear 10 more, even more obscure movies uh, that are that you should uh, check out, including including Death Spa, which I, I think that sells itself. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, we'll be talking about that later. Um, this is going to be uh, kind of a long one. So uh, let's just get right into it. Um, we're going to start at the 20s. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, directed by Robert Wine. It's a German film. The German expressionist horror. Um, this is this is the one you see in all the film schools. Yeah. Uh, every film class. It also named the first horror movie by a lot of people. Yeah, no, that's true. And it, it very well could be. I, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, I think uh, I think George Melier did some things that could be called horror movies. Um, but that's it for that one. Uh, there's also <laughs> Phantom of the Opera by Robert Rupert Julian, uh, which is the American Universal film with Lon Chaney. That's great. Yes. Um, have you ever you ever got to see that on the big screen? No, I've never seen it on a big screen with an uh, organ and everything. Yeah, it was one of those movies where I tried watching it on one of those cheapo DVD packs like 15 times, and I would never get into it. And then I saw it on the big screen. I was like, yeah, that's really good. Uh, another silent film, 1927, The Unknown, directed by Todd Browning. Um, great Lon Chaney movie. He doesn't have any makeup uh, effects and he's actually better for it. He's a really good actor, um, and he has no arms, uh, so he's doing all these crazy tricks with his feet. And it's circus folk. Uh, I really love the unknown. I just got to see that for the first time recently. Yeah, and we talked about now. Uh, 
on the last now, uh Now, uh, now we're into the 30s. Um, 1932, Dr. X, directed by Michael Curtiz. Have you seen this, Gabe? This is one of the ones I have never actually sat down to see, but I am familiar with its reputation. So it's a, it's a mad scientist kind of movie. I haven't seen this either, but it's notable for being the first color horror film. It was shot on like a very early two-strip Technicolor process. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been as well-preserved as other early color films, so it doesn't actually look too great uh, in the clips I've seen, but it, that's still interesting. Now, uh, there, 1932, you have The Mask of Fu Manchu, directed by Charles Vidor and Charles Braben. Um, this is an American... Was this a serial? I don't know what the Mask of Fu Manchu. You know, I am not sure about this one. There was a serialized version. I, I is this the one with Karloff in it? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think this this was a standalone uh, movie. Then I believe. Okay. And, um, and then yeah, he we did a bunch this. of them, and then Christopher Lee ended up doing a bunch of them in like the '60s. Really, Italian made, I believe. It, well, they weren't serials then. No, they were this. They were just a long series. There's like three of them, I believe. Sure. So then next, 1932, Island of Lost Souls, directed by Earl C. Kenton. Um, Dr. Moreau, I think the earliest film version of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Very striking. It's a pre-code movie, and it's very gruesome and very sexy in ways that you wouldn't expect an early 30s movie to be. Yep. It's a good uh, Uh, That one's way on my personal list, too, I would say. I didn't actually vote that one in, but. No, it's really good, and Bela Lugosi's good in it as this weird wolf kind of man, but not a wolf man. Because uh, it's Dr. Moreau. There's uh, Murders in the Zoo, which is from 1933, and that's directed by A. Edward Sutherland. Um, have you seen Murders in the Zoo? No, nope, this is another one I've never actually seen. I actually thought it was a comedy. I feel a little bad about that. I Yeah, um, I looked it up. Apparently it's uh, very gruesome for its time. Leonard Malton mentions that the opening scene has the mad guy who basically he's killing his people who are attracted to his wife using zoo animals. But it opens with the scene in which he's sewing someone's mouth shut. So apparently uh, pretty gruesome for the time. Might be worth checking out. Sounds like it. Yes. Now the next one is the uh, immortal uh, Bela Lugosi uh, um, Boris Karloff classic, The Black Cat from 1934, directed by uh, Edgar G. Ulmer. Um, it's another gruesome again, one for its time. Yeah, yeah. There's a torture scene at the end, and then it's basically – it's what it's it's the thing that you wished all the monster mashes were, where it's these two horror icons and they're both equally evil and they're pitted against each other. It, it's the good version of all of those like Universal movies. Or I mean, I know you like Freddy versus Jason, but to me, yeah, like this is it's how totally that sort of thing, thing should yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. Freddy versus Jason is totally different. Yeah, yeah, that's more kaiju. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, now there's of course Bride of Frankenstein from 1935, directed by James Well. Some people. Th- Say it's superior to the original Frankenstein. I really love this movie. It's really funny. It's got a, it's got that great thing that James Whale did in this, and he did in The Dark House, and he did in The Invisible Man, which is basically, uh, it's very silly, but it tells a, it tells the story it's telling so well that it never undermines itself. And it looks, it's his best looking movie, I would say too. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so we jump to 1939, Son of Frankenstein. This is the uh, third Frankenstein movie. This was the big budget one. Basically, Universal put a uh, bunch of their uh, money behind it. It's a long one. This is the one that basically young Frankenstein is take off of. I have not seen this, but Bela Lugosi's in it as Igor. Yeah, I've, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, it's not as memorable as the other ones. Uh, and Frankenstein's, Frankenstein's monster wears a uh, fuzzy shirt. I remember that very distinctly. <laughs> 
it's 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 the it's the it's the Seinfeld episode of Frankenstein. Yes. Frankenstein <laughs> movies in which Frankenstein's constantly agitated, but it's not because he's a reanimated corpse. It's because he's got this goddamn fuzzy shirt. Yes. All right. So we're jumping to the 40s um, with uh, our first Val Luton film, I Walked with a Zombie from 1943, directed by Jacques Turner. Basically, it's Jane Eyre in the West Indies. And so a lot of it is actually sort of melodramatic, but the uh, imagery of the voodoo zombies, of course, this pre-Romero zombies, are, is really striking. I honestly never realized it was Jane Eyre, and it totally is Jane Eyre. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't. I'm not exactly someone who read Jane Eyre in school, but that was like a, a de- description I read, and I and then I looked up the plot of Jane Eyre. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's again. It's it. It's it sort of defines the Valut movies in that it's classier than it has any right to be. Right. Um. And uh, very potent. Uh, the next film is also a uh, Val Luton film. I think James Laskowski, uh, Jim Laskowski, uh, submitted this one. It's uh, The Seventh Victim from 1943, directed by Mark Robson. Uh, have you seen The Seventh Victim? It's another one. It's been a long time. I actually saw this one way back in college. Um, and I remember it being not as memorable as I Walked with a Zombie, but definitely very evocative, maybe more evocative even than I Walked yeah, with a Zombie. Yeah, it's, it's almost a little more noir, but it does involve a, a sort of some kind of satanic or cult or death cult or something. <laughs> right. Um, very good movie with a very kind of shocking, uh, depressing ending. So we're going to jump to the 50s, uh, 1955's Diabolique by Henri-Georges Clouseau, which uh, we've talked about on this very podcast. It's re- one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. And one of the only older movies that it, that that one scene is still genuinely frightening. It really, it really is. It's just it's, it's just the yeah the image of the body. I don't know, spoiler, but image of the body rising rising out of the tub, just and popping holy out shit. popping out those uh, contacts. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Because for a second you don't know their contacts. It just looks like he's going to pop out his eyes. Yes. Next film, also 1955, also very striking, Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. Um, just watched this recently um, for, for in, in its entirety for the first time. I, thought, I always thought I had seen it, and I'd only seen, like, the first half of it up until they're on the river. Um, God, this is fucking dark. Yeah. I guess I never thought of it as a horror movie, but... It does have that sort of fairy tale horror aspect to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The other thing about this is there's going to be a lot of movies that we talk about that these were all submitted by um, by listeners, and the only directive I gave them is if it's a horror movie to you, then right. it counts. Right, which so, is the best way to go because yeah, it's too hard to yeah. define. Comedy, horror, and drama are too hard to define. Exactly, and and it's and 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 nitpicking it, it genre definitions, uh, genre distinctions. It rarely leads to anything interesting. I find, and this movie, it's very scary. It's very tense, and it's and it does have that fairy tale feeling because it's so uh, baldly theatrical with its lighting and its editing, and it's 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 kind of a, a crazy formalistic uh, gambit, and it really paid off. Although. Charles Lawton never made another movie, so maybe it didn't pay off for his career. It's also a little funny. It, it's got, it is, it's got it the is. weird slapstick thing going on that I didn't like the first time I saw it, but really liked the second time. And so the next, so the next film is from 1956, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, directed by uh, Don Siegel. Um, of course, a classic sci-fi uh, film, but also a very, uh, very much a horrific film. Um, it's it, this one was kind of interesting because. Uh, at, at first, it was sort of interpreted as uh, anti-McCarthyism, and then 
And then it became sort of interpreted as Red Scare kind of a movie. And it really can be read either way. Yeah, definitely. Which is, I guess, yeah, makes it so potent is that it's broad enough that you can project your own emotions onto it, but but you know, strong enough that they it actually has resonance. Um, and then the last film of the fifties we're going to be covering is The Tingler, from nineteen fifty nine, directed by William Castle. Now I've not seen this film. It's it's one of the Castle films that I don't really find personally that stands up without the uh, the uh, gimmick. I think a lot of his films do work without the gimmick, but The Tingler, I don't, I can't really recommend it outside of being in a theater with the buzzing seats myself. Yeah, that is the, that is the thing about The Tingler is he installed, uh, he installed electric little joy buzzers under people's seats. And there's a part where people have to scream, uh, in the theater and then unprompt. And then some of the people in the theater will be prompted by electric shocks and then some won't. And, I guess the idea was just to create a crazy hysteria in the theater. And it sounds like a wonderful time. I don't know if there are rep screenings of this in which they actually do that, but that would that has always been a dream of mine. Yeah, that would be pretty great. So we're into the 60s now. 1960, Eyes Without a Face, directed by Georges Franju from France. Maybe the first gore movie ever made. Um, yeah, well, it came out the same year as Jigoku, which is not on this list, which is a really, really gory movie from Japan. Oh, okay. But this has a very uh, graphic uh, yeah. surgery scenes in which someone's face is removed. Um, and it, But it also has uh, – I mean this was sort of semi-remade um, uh, by Elmo Dovar. Yeah. Um, and it has uh, kind of a, a, a dreamy quality to it and uh, kind of a, a, a melancholy to it as well. It's not just sort of gore for gore's sake. I think this is one of the ones I put in, but now I can't remember what my list, ha- my original list had. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember my list totally either. So I guess we'll find out uh, when we go back and look <laughs> at them. Yeah. Uh, also for 1960, uh, by Terrence Fisher, Brides of Dracula, the second Dracula movie that Terrence Fisher did. Um, I think the only Dracula movie that's on this list, uh, but I think it's probably, it might be the best Terrence Fisher Dracula movie. Uh, the ones that Terrence Fisher directed? Yeah, I think so. It's not my favorite Hammer Dracula, but even if... What's your favorite Hammer Dracula? You know, I really like Dracula 1972. It's not a favorite with most people, but I I find it really charming. It's the, the sort of the one where he's reincarnated by hippies? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Brides of Dracula we talked about uh, in uh, at length on the Terrence Fisher episode, so if you're interested in that... Uh, definitely check out the Terrence Fisher episode I did with Robert Reinecke, who I think is the one who submitted uh, Brides of Dracula. Now, next, I have not seen 1961's The Innocents, directed by Jack Clayton. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those that I haven't seen either that I have plenty of access to and has just not watched it. So I actually feel, uh, I feel from... significantly guilty about this one. Yeah, this 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 is one I've heard a lot about. I want to watch this and The Uninvited soon because I've just sort of gotten into older ghost stories. Uh-huh. Um, this is basically, I think it's a retelling of the turn of the screw, creepy children, that sort of thing. But, um, I don't know. sounds really interesting. Uh, yeah. next from 1963, the birds by Alfred Hitchcock. Now this is a Alfred Hitchcock movie. I've was, I've never been a big fan of granted. It's been maybe 15 years since I've seen it. I would, it's his best horror movie. It might, I mean, this and psycho might be his only two horror movies. Um, yeah, so this is the best. You think this is the best uh, horror movie he did? Psycho's a better movie, but The Birds is the one that's still kind of scary. I think that I think there's a couple scenes that still work really well. Um, 
the the bit the bit where all the birds appear behind her on the on the jungle gym. Is, oh yeah, that's, no, that's that's true. It's one of my favorite scares, I think. So the next nineteen sixty, also nineteen sixty three, Herschel Gordon Lewis's immortal classic, Blood Feast. Uh, not a scary movie. No, <laughs> not a not a particularly well made movie, but it is a obscenely gory movie, especially for the time. Yeah, I would. I always prefer uh, two thousand or ten thousand eight two thousand. Shit, now I'm getting confused about the band name. It is 2000. Okay. There is 2000. <laughs> 10,000 Maniacs uh, Drive You Crazy. Yes. Um, yeah, Blood... I, it, I say for the time, but actually, I don't think there are many modern horror movies that go as far as just, like, close-ups of hands holding intestines and squeezing them. Like, right. Like, the fact... The way he relishes in the gore in this film is really funny. It has a pornographic uh, quality to it. Yeah, it's extremely pornographic. But because the rest of the... Because it's so fake-looking, and because everything in it, this... I mean, all the blood just looks like red paint. And because everything in this movie is so fake, like... It's... It 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 it, it, it becomes charming and not uh, grotesque. Or it is grotesque, but it becomes charming and not off-putting. Right. Uh, next, 1964, Mask of the Red Death. I know for a fact this is one I submitted because it's absolutely my favorite Roger Corman movie. Um, my favorite, maybe my favorite Vincent Price movie, though Abominable Dr. Fives is also up there. Um, definitely my favorite uh, Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. It's beautiful, hallucinogenic kind of a movie. Yep. Uh, very colorful. Um, yeah, I would agree on everything. Uh, favorite Poe, favorite Corman. I think that... If we're going favorite Vincent Price movie, I'd pick Theater of uh, Blood. Sure. Which might not be as good of a movie, but is a better Vincent Price movie, if that makes any sense. No, I, I, yeah, no, I would agree with that. That's probably why I would go with Dr. Fives over this. Yeah, Price, Fives but... is a, kind of same same thing. But yeah, yeah I, I saw this one Halloween on uh, what was MGM HD. And yes. Having not seen any Poe adaptations and really having no idea of this sort of uh, era of horror. Uh, seeing Mask of the Red Death was just a, it, it just jaw dropping. It was it's so good, and it's so there's just great moments of cruelty and just like you know political commentary and stuff. And it's all you know it's it's not particularly sharp, but it's it's definitely potent. And it's very 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 colorful. Oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah beautiful movie. Uh, next, 1965's Repulsion, directed by Roman Polanski. Um, Great movie. Uh, again, psychological thriller horror. Uh, it's definitely scary. Yeah, it's um, it's one. It's another one that is still scary. Yeah, and it's and it and it and it's a great. It does that great thing that you want in a horror movie where the escalation is very subtle. Of this this woman becoming unsettled, it starts with just like a overflowing bathtub, and it ends with murders. You know. And I feel like it's a movie that people kind of try to remake without directly remaking it and never quite pull off. I don't think it's – I don't think this – There's ex- another There's another film coming up uh, later in this t- – in the sa- very same tier that I would say is a, a successful uh, pulling off of this of the same thing. OK, but OK. I would agree with you. For the most part, uh, they attend, they things take, tend to get too hysterical. They're not subtle enough. Yeah. Um, next one, last film of the sixties, 1968 spider baby directed by Jack Hill and Bart Patton. Um, crazy movie. (laughs) Really worthwhile. Like I watched this one a long time ago before I was tolerant of older movies and it was still a favorite. Oh yeah. Like I think I was a teenager when I first saw it. 
the best quote I've seen about this is um, it. This is the exact point in between uh, the old dark house and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah, has a lot in common with both of them. It, like, yeah, like this is the connective thread between just a strange family living in an old forbidden house and a fucking crazy chaotic cannibal family. Yep, and there's even a dinner house. scene. Yep. Uh, and yeah, dinner scenes in all three of those movies are so essential. Mm-hmm. Um, next, uh, first film of the 1970s, 1970s, uh, and soon the darkness directed by Robert Fuss. Now I've not seen this film. Uh, what's this film? It's, uh, it's a kind of, mm, it's almost a, pro- a prototype for kind of like hostile where girls go out into an area. The problem is I watched it back to back with the remake, which was not very good. And I'm trying to remember what the major differences were, but they're both about uh, girls who go out and uh, are uh, accosted by uh, basically foreigners, <laughs> uh, but but well. it's but it's a kind of a slow burn. It's another one that that is only a horror movie because it's frightening. It's really much more of a psychological drama, I would say. But it, yeah, sure. it's it's really well made and avoid the the remake where poor, poor Carl Urban is not it, he can't save the remake. It's not good. <clears throat> Next is Lizard in a Woman's Skin for 1971, directed by uh, Lucio Fulci. Now, what is this film? I didn't submit this, but this is one of his better uh, Giallo movies. Uh, it's a very hallucinatory uh, a woman who thinks she might have killed somebody, but isn't sure. And so it's it kind of takes the Giallo thing and turns on its head where a murderer is trying to figure out if they're the murderer or not, instead of a, you know, outside person trying to figure out who the murderer is and it has um really intensely uh hallucinatory scenes where it you know he uses all sorts of uh weird watery camera effects and colors and there's a scene that got him in trouble where she uh finds dissected dogs that are still barking and the effects were so good that uh he actually had to go in court um, and the guy who did the effects, who is uh, the same gentleman who made E.T., had to bring the dogs in and prove that they were not real dogs. <laughs> but it's, That happened a couple times in Italy. Yeah. The, I uh, indicate, yeah, Cannibal Holocaust, they had to bring the actors in to prove they hadn't been murdered <laughs> uh, for the movie. But I highly recommend it. It's, it, it's weird and spooky, and, and it fits all of... Fulci's strengths as a director, I think. Did he make many Giallo films? Yeah, actually, I he primarily makes... know him as sort of like beyond, you know, uh, House by the Cemetery, that right. sort of stuff. Be right before he started making all the gore movies, he actually made quite a few, really some of the best Giallo films, I would say. Oh, including uh, how, uh, "Don't Kill a Duckling," or yep, yep, don't 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 torture a duckling. The Psychic, um, one on top of the other, is is really good. More like slightly comedic one. Um, those four, and, yeah, and Lizard and Woman's Skin are four, I think, the best of all of them. Fantastic. Next one, I love Abominable Dr. Fives, directed by Robert Fuss, same as And uh, Soon the Darkness. And also, you might notice I'm rushing through his last name because I'm not sure how to pronounce it, and I'm embarrassed. So Yeah, I don't Robert, know either. Robert Fuss Fust. Faust? Fust. Yeah, Faust. <laughs> yeah, let's say Robert Faust. It sounds good. More, it sounds good, yeah. More fitting. Um, so Robert Faust sold his soul to make this film um, – about a man who's getting revenge on doctors who couldn't save his wife um, using uh, the biblical plagues uh, as templates for their murders. And it is 
hilarious and it's gruesome and it it's really witty. It's a lot of horror comedy tends to just be silly. Yeah. And while this is definitely uh, campy, it's also very clever. There's a very funny scene with a jeweler that is just like straight out of uh, I don't know. It's it's straight out of like an actual like well written comedy. Yeah. Um, and Vincent Price is wonderful in it, performing only with his eyes basically because he can only talk through <laughs> plugging a hi fi into his neck. Right. Uh, and, he, and he actually, you, it, I think that he's actually speaking the lines with his mouth closed for the effect of the camera because his his throat's always wiggling the whole yeah, time. Yeah, because he's, I believe, I believe it. Vincent Price always gave one hundred and ten percent, no matter what movies he was in. Yeah, um, but this is definitely one of the better ones. Um, and if you are interested in Vincent Price, but you're sort of averse to older, uh, you know, black and white, maybe slower pace or whatever movies, this is definitely a good entry point for you. Next, 1971, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, directed by John D. Hancock. Uh, recently discussed on this episode, I haven't seen this film, but you saw this recently. Yeah, I just finally saw it. It's one that everybody always suggests to you, and every you know expert book will mention as the overlooked horror movie of the 70s, and it, it, was, it was worth it. It was very, very good, and in the very 70s way that, you know, it's, it's almost hard. It's really hard to describe it. Uh, it's all... It's all visceral without being gory. And yeah, well, it's it's vis- Is it like Martin, where it's just visceral, like editing? Yeah, it just feels weird, and and you're in the woman's mindset through a lot of the movie, um, and it's just something about it that makes you. It's just really uneasy feeling um, that that almost doesn't work because it's kind of it's a little bit campy and and a little over the top. Uh, but it works. It, 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 it almost sounds like an Italian film. It feels a little like an Italian film from the era, like somewhere between an Italian and a uh, English film from the era. But it's American, I guess. Something in the water, yeah, uh, or in the air, I suppose. Um, next, nineteen seventy-two, Wes Craven's immortal quote-unquote classic, Last House on the Left. I'm not a fan of this movie at all, but it is exceedingly uh, black and gruesome, and yeah. Uh, I don't really cer- like it either. <laughs> it's it's cer- it's certainly the kind of movie you can understand why it's on someone's list. If you haven't seen Last House on the Left, you probably uh, should. Yeah, you probably should. It just for context for if you're interested in horror, it's important for context. Yep. Uh, next is Night of the Devils, from 1972, directed by Giorgio Ferroni. It's an Italy, Spain, uh, Italian, Spanish film. Uh, Gabe, you actually saw this I, for this episode just last night. I I had been meaning to watch it, and I saw it on the list, and it was. It was really good. It's based on the same story as the Boris Karloff episode of uh, Mario Bava's Black Sabbath, The Wunderlach. Oh, right. It's the same basic story, but in then modern era. So it's an outsider goes to this town, gets gets stuck, and there are uh, there's a crazy family that he gets stuck with, and he falls in love with one of the women in the family, and everybody's claiming there's a curse, and. At you know, at, at a certain point, uh, Grandpa goes missing, and everybody starts fashioning uh, wooden stakes. And this guy doesn't understand what's going on. And it, the thing that really makes it is it opens. It's all told in flashback because this man's in an insane asylum, and it opens with the doctor showing him the most graphic, sexual, violent, gory footage that you could probably get away with in nineteen was a seventy two. Um, 
and I it's I was like, oh, this I didn't know what this movie was, and I said, oh, it's going to be one of these doctors trying to make a guy go crazy movies, and that is completely out of context. It never appears again in the movie, and we're never sure <laughs> if that's what he was being shown or if that's what he was seeing. It's a definitely a way to get your attention early. So uh, actually, literally in my hands right now, I'm holding a DVD of Night of the Devils. I had bought this because it looked interesting, and I'm always interested in seeing more Italian movies from this era. I bought this at the Music Box of Horrors, and it w- sat in my backpack because I rarely use my backpack. It sat in my backpack since then until just yesterday. That's um, It's when, meant to be, apparently. Yeah, and where Regina – she took the stuff out of my backpack to go shopping uh, – to go grocery shopping and put stack it right on this coffee table. Night of the Devils, I'm looking at it. I got to see that soon. Um, next from 1972, Vampire Circus, directed by Robert Young. This is an English film. Is this Hammer? This is later Hammer. This is when they are trying to reinvent themselves as more. So, what's this movie friendly. like? This is a really wacky one. Uh, it's a circus comes to town and they are run by vampires that aren't really trying to be vampires. Um, and there's some, like, you know, it didn't have much of a budget, but the director did um, interesting stuff with edits so that there's one vampire that turns into a panther, basically. Um, it's, I, I believe, I'm trying to remember now, I think it is technically a period piece, but it's made to feel a lot more modern. Uh, and it was one of those Hammer films that I guess wasn't lost, but was overlooked for a very long time. And, I think a blue, and then a Blu-ray came out. And a Blu-ray recently, came right? out, and it made everybody kind of remember it that sure. hadn't really been paying attention. Of course, on the Blu-ray, there's a bunch of commentaries with people who loved it and never forgot it. But as it as it tends to go, yeah. next film, 1972's The Frenzy by Alfred Hitchcock. Not the last film he made, but second to last film, I think. Second or third, definitely the last good good film he made. So what's for I've I've never seen Frenzy. Frenzy is uh is almost a giallo movie. It was him. He was trying to make something more, uh, in line with what was going on in Europe at the time. It was, it was it's a lot meaner. Um, it's known for being his most violent movie. It's, it's got a guy who strangles women with a, um, a tie, but it's actually a really, really funny movie. Um, there are lots of subplots about uh, detectives' uh, wife making him horrible food. Um, that he has to eat around, and it's it's very dry, and it's maybe his most British movie. I don't I don't know. I, I can't recall off the top of my head in thirty seconds. The the original man man who knew too much is exceedingly British. Yeah, maybe it's his most British movie. As soon as once he started making American movies, he kind of sure yeah. sure. So uh, next, 1973's Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural, directed by Richard Blackburn. What's this like? It's another one I just saw recently, maybe this year or last year. Um, it's on the same lines as Let's Scare Jessica to Death and uh, Messiah of Evil. It's it's a very um, raw, another dreamy movie with a really raw look to it. Um, and it's, it's not as much of a... Uh, fairy tale as i was told i was expecting something more along like the lines of of a 70s horror version of like labyrinth or something like that it's it's more down to earth than that but it's got uh it's that editing quality that you're not sure what's real and what's not it's very well done so next film uh i'm surprised only got one vote black christmas 1974 directed by bob clark Canadian classic slasher movie. Some say exceeds Halloween. At the very least, it predated Halloween. 
Yeah, um, we talked about it a little on the last on the George Romero. Yeah, point. we talked about it a little on the last episode. Uh, it's another. It's a movie I want to revisit properly. I got to see a little bit on the big screen, but I, I had to go out for dinner and. Um, but uh, not not always my favorite, just because its its structure tends to be more investigative instead of uh, focusing on the people about to be killed, uh, which is just not my favorite thing. But I I should check this out again. And so, did you put this on your list? Me? No, no, I don't. I'm not as big of a fan. I, I I said on the other podcast, I actually happened to have found a Blu-ray for $5 the other day. And uh, I'm going to revisit it myself, too. Just haven't gotten a chance yet. Sure. At any rate, it's not the last we'll see of Bob Clark. The next 1974, directed by Larry Cohen, It's Alive. Killer baby. Baby. Maybe the greatest opening <laughs> to any it's it's definitely a contender for greatest opening any horror movie it, it the problem is it never quite live up to lives up to how great that opening is it it's true and how it's genuinely true. The, rest, terrifying the rest tends to slog but yeah that bill that uh that that scene in the uh in the operating room or the yeah that, that crazy yeah. great stuff next is uh 1974 the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, directed by Jorge Grau from it's an Italian Spanish uh film what is, what's this film like? This is uh, pre. This predates the other Italian zombie movies, which were all uh, made out of the popularity of Dawn of the Dead. Um, so it's it was more trying to rip off uh, Night of the Living Dead way after the fact. It's it's filmed in uh, the UK with some British actors. Um, it's it's got a good kind of gothic feel to it, but but also it's filmed mostly outdoors, so it's really green and lush. Um, it's got a great reason for the zombie. One of my probably my favorite reason for zombies to exist is that a company has made a uh, non toxic uh, uh, insecticide that is sound based, and the idea is that it makes the insects uh, go crazy and eat each other. And what they don't realize is it also makes dead bodies come out and eat humans, living humans. <laughs> That's and I pretty just, great. Yeah, I just think sound, it's the best. Sound zombies, and so it, it, it's mostly. It has some really gory scenes for the time. Like it, it's up there with with the Fulci movies as far as pure gore, um, and it's got these really awkward but charming uh, political uh, things going on. Uh, like the opening credits has a woman run across the street naked in front of the hero, like holding up a peace sign, just because. Just because it's and it's hot, and it had a really cool uh, stereo soundtrack for the, the time. So when they revamped it into five point one, it would actually it has a kind of cool musical soundtrack to it. The the zombies are kind of met with a whoosh whoosh sound. So the next film from nineteen seventy five, classic giallo film by Dario Argento, Deep Red. Again, shocked this only got one vote, just by its reputation. And I don't think I voted for it either because I was trying to be a little more pedantic with myself as far as horror movies. But it's a personal favorite. It's probably a top twenty favorite all time as far as I'm yeah concerned. there's a lot about this movie we talked about this on Dario Gentro episode there's a lot about this movie I don't like but then the sort of weirder more inexplicable moments are just jaw-dropping they're great it's it's the most uh like it has the most stuff in it of any giallo movie it's just it's it's sure. more than two hours long and and so it can be a slog for people who aren't really into the the type for sure but I still really recommend it so the next is Alice Sweet Alice from 1976, directed by Alfred Soule. Is this the slasher movie with Brooke Shields? And it's not really so much a slasher as a as a kind of evil child murder mystery. Okay. That, um, spoiler alert, 
is actually not an evil child movie because the kid didn't do it. And yeah, Brooke Shields is the person is is murdered very early in the movie, and it was re-released after Blue Lagoon came out, which is kind of disturbing because it was re-released for sex appeal, and she's only maybe ten years old in the movie. Um, oh. <laughs> and I cannot, off the top of my head, remember the name of the lead actress, who's the slightly older girl, but she's fantastic, and I can't believe she didn't appear in more movies. And I, I definitely actually think you specifically would like this one, Patrick. If you, all right, I'll have to check it out. It's all, it's all about Catholicism. The other title was uh, Communion. Sweet. Yes. Uh, the next from 1977, Michael Winner's The Sentinel, which I saw maybe 20 minutes of here and there passing out uh, during a mo- all-night movie marathon. So uh, my memories of it are particularly nightmarish. The whole movie is very nightmarish. It's a bad movie to fall asleep to, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's got some really, really standout scary scenes um, and makes a really great uh, double feature with Fulci's The Beyond because The Beyond kind of ripped it off uh, on, a sh- on a conceptual level in some ways. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I also have the... I don't know if it's the novel this movie is based off of or the novelization, but either way, I, I have that, and I should probably get around to reading that sometime. Um, next, 1977, uh, directed by David Lynch, Eraserhead. Now, this is one, again, it, it may or may not be horror, but it certainly deals with a, a, primer, uh, a, pri- uh, a primal kind of uh, anxiety. It's definitely frightening yeah, and disturbing. If you haven't seen Eraserhead, you really should. I think I think Eraserhead sort of gets a, has a reputation as being impenetrable, but I think if you like, and it, it might just because of the way it sort of presents its story, you might find it that so. But if you just sort of watch it, thinking fear of becoming a father, which is not even subtext in this film, it's text. Like, it, I think it makes sense, and it's actually a really interesting and good movie. I'm sorry, my cat keeps purring into the microphone. <laughs> That's all right. Your cat's a big your cat's a your cat's a big fan of that baby. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, the next film, 1978, The Toolbox Murders, directed by Toby Hooper. Is this a slasher film? No, 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 no. It's Hooper directed the remake. Are we talking about the original? Oh, we're talking about the original. He didn't do the remake. No. Uh, okay, he did I got do the, the remake. I, got... I can't remember who directed it though, off the top of my head. The remake is a really weird movie. But if we're talking about the 78 one, this is. Just an early kind of really grimy slasher movie that is almost respectable in how grimy it is, uh, and it's it's a movie that that has a really awful reputation, and it's less for how much gore they actually show and more for uh, the the sort of misogynistic tendencies of the gore. Sure, <laughs> this was a video nasty, right? Yes, and it was one of the. More, it, it had a title that made it an easy target for video nasties. Sure. Uh, um, okay, so this was directed by Dennis Donnelly. Sorry about that. Yeah, the Hooper one is is a actually with uh, the girl from May, whose name escapes me right now, is a totally uh, different. A- Angela Bettis. Yeah, which is not a good movie, but almost worth watching both of them just to see how little they have to do with each other. <laughs> sure. The next film, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, or La Raison de la Mort, yep. uh, a French film fr- by uh, Jean Roland. What is this film? Uh, this is one of Roland uh, mostly made dreamy lesbian vampire movies that are kind of all the same movie over and over again, but are respectable in their own weird way. 
but this one was one that I believe, if I remember right, Jess Franco started it and then left the project, and so he came on. And it's another pre-Dawn of the Dead uh, cash-in on, on Night of the Living Dead, and it's really, really fun. Uh, it's it's there are there's grapes that are poisoned that uh, are in the wine in a countryside French town that are turning the people into flesh eating zombies, um, and it follows. It actually has some scenes very similar to the crazies and the way people are on the on the lamb from what's going on. And also, that also sounds like it could have been the inspiration for Street Trash. Yeah, actually, I never thought of that. I wonder. I, I have no idea if they ever saw it, but yeah, it's. It's like Rollins' other movies in that it has a lot of fog and naked women. Uh, yeah, I, I, highly, I like it a lot. I think that my friend Matt actually put that one in. I think I remember seeing that on the list and being kind of proud of him for picking that one. <laughs> <laughs> the next film, also 1978, I Spit on Your Grave by Mira Zarchi. Very notorious film. Of course, uh, brutal, brutal gang rape scene. Um, and then the brutal revenge uh, that follows. I think it's a really good movie. It's not a particularly likable movie, but no, <laughs> it's it's not a movie I'd throw on at any point. But I think, um, I, I think as far as its reputation, it could be a lot more nastier and exploitative than it is, and it could be a lot less smart. Well, than it is. and it's also well made enough to actually be disturbing. There's right if it was if it was a purely bad movie, it would have been just forgotten. I think for sure. Um, next, 1979, the remake of Nosferatu, The Vampire, uh, directed by Werner Herzog. I saw this movie recently. We talked about it, um, on the, uh, Terrence Fisher episode, dreamy, uh, very slow paced, kind of that, uh, seventies Herzog kind of pacing, um, sort of emphasizes a lot of the, a lot of the things that make the Murnau film work really well, but very slow really all i always remember about it is the rat scenes (laughs) they're good um i I think the ending the ending it it has the ending of nosferatu where basically she lures him into her room to be there all night and that so that the light will kill him but the way she does it in this one it ends up being like it's kind of the only instance of the sort of vampire snm sort of um uh like that sort of theme that I've actually like really responded to and thought that like I made sense on a character level and was just really intense. I think the, the scene, the scene where Nosferatu dies is really intense and really good. Yeah. Next is Salem's lot from 1979 directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, this one is directed by Toby Hooper. Yes. Uh, I've never read the book or seen that. This was a mini series. Yeah, it was TV. It was TV mini series. I don't know if the version on DVD is 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 edited down or not to tell you the truth because it was um, long and it's funny that's right next to nosferatu the vampire because they did everything they could to make the main vampire look like nosferatu well that's interesting so yeah they're, they're, they're t- two two nosferatu lookalikes walking around <laughs> 1979 uh do you like this movie i barely remember it i remember it being kind of long uh, and yeah. definitely made for TV, so I don't have yeah. the fondest memories of it. There's a there's a made for TV movie coming up that uh, I mostly remember as being too long, and it's just because well, it's it's paced for commercial breaks. Yeah. Um. Uh. So we're into the 80s now, and we're starting the 80s with Dario Argento's Inferno from 1980. Uh, I remember nothing about this movie. It's I've, I've seen it. 
it's the dreamiest of his movies, and it's definitely just a series of set pieces, um, most of which I think work out well. But it is not a definitely not a story driven movie, and probably his weakest main character. So it's a little hard to give a shit at some points, but also technically one of his best looking movies. Yeah, I actually I think I'm okay. So I saw this movie. I think I told this story on the Dario Argento episode. But there's a scene which cats are being drowned. Yes. And uh, I saw this movie with uh, my ex- my now ex girlfriend and and her cat and her cat was asleep while the movie was on and then the cat drowning scene happened and then she sort of started meowing in her sleep <laughs> yeah <I laughs> really loudly that. like it gave her nightmares to hear it or she was just sort of like half asleep and responding or whatever but I always thought that was funny there was a back in Tucson where I you know first discovered horror movies the the video store the the good video store in Tucson had a copy. Um, and it had a post-it note from a viewer that said something like, this movie contains animal cruelty, don't rent, rent it. it. And the, <laughs> the store had just left it on because they thought it was funny. That's pretty That good. someone could not understand that there were edits between the scene where the cats are put in the bag and the cats are actually put in the water. Like, Sure. Had- <laughs> well, that, that person didn't have the luxury of calling Dario Argento to their house to prove that there were special yes, effects. Yes, yes. Um, so the next 1980, The Fog, directed by John Carpenter, kind of a minor carpenter movie it's one i want to like more than i do i i watch yeah, it every couple years and, and I, th- I think i want to like it every time because it looks so good yeah it does and because the first 10 minutes are so good and it definitely goes by fast which is something i can't say for some of his really bad movies yeah but uh, i'm not a, not a terrible terribly big fan of the fog no. um next is the changeling 1980, directed by Peter Medic. It's a Canadian ghost story movie with George C. Scott. Uh, has a really great seance scene. Yeah, there's a couple really great scenes, and I don't personally think it holds together all the way through, but there are definitely some really great, really scary scenes. I think George C. Scott's performance holds it through for that, me. Yeah, okay. I, I would that. agree with you, but I, but yeah, I, I like, I like this movie a lot because of the parts I, the parts that just don't really work. You still care about him as a character. Um, so the next film is City of the Living Dead, directed by Lucio Fulci. Now, I've seen this. I've seen The Beyond, and I've seen House by the Cemetery. That's, but I get the events of each mixed up. There's sort of a trilogy. That's what fans say, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, it's taken me a long time. The fans usually prefer The Beyond or Zombie, uh, which came just before the other ones. Uh, but over the years, City of the Living Dead became my favorite. It's kind of the most – it doesn't have his widescreen – kind of vista shots that he's so good at but it has the most consistent horrible dreadful feel to it and the grossest gore like not the most gore but the nastiest gore like scenes that nastier than tarantulas pulling out a man's eyes yeah because the tarantulas pulling out the man's eyes just never really (laughs) looks convincing but the, the woman true. who vomits up her own intestines for a solid minute or whatever 30 seconds just never fails to 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 get me even after all these years and it's just it's just one of those movies that, that it's okay that it doesn't make sense it feels like logical and it's lack of logic well the beyond beyond's one of my favorites and that's that's definitely how i felt about that movie and most people consider the beyond the the culmination of that 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 he was trying it with city of living dead and he finally pulled it off with the beyond but over the i i've learned to like see the living dead a little bit more it might have been because i saw it first too it was readily that, uh, available whereas the beyond that, was that, really hard to find for years 
that gut puking scene is something I always think about in terms of horror movies and in terms of just like just sort of the weird dedication that has to happen to make these things happen because it's not always just, well, you hire a special effects guy and they do the very best of their job. Like sometimes you just have to be really weird and ingenious and you have to just be like – like the way they did that shot in this movie is she swallowed a plate of tripe. And she basically – yeah, she doesn't quite barf it up but she kind of regurgitates and at a certain point they cut to a dummy. And yeah. if you're looking for the dummy, you can see it. But the first couple times you watch the movie, you're definitely not looking for the dummy. You're just being disgusted by what's happening. I always, but I always wondered if the woman who swallowed swallowed the tripe and then had to regurgitate, she got like paid extra, like she got like stunt pay, or she like this. She ends up being killed in a lot of his movies, or being nude in a lot of his movies. And there's a really crummy i've i can't afford the good book on him so i bought a much smaller book on him once with some interviews and he's usually horrible about actresses Mm -hmm. um but he up and down loves this woman because she'll let him do whatever is what he says sure it's she she was bruce campbell she was game yeah she's she gets stabbed in the back of the head at the beginning of uh uh house by the cemetery like there's oh, okay, a, same one. Yeah, and so she same, had to hold same the knife out of her mouth. So she gagged on that too, I'm pretty sure. So the next is an American slash movie from 1980, New Year's Evil, directed by Emmett Alston. I've never seen this. I, I, I more power to whoever voted for it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a movie I enjoy. It's, the only thing fun about it is the premise is pretty amusing. It's a guy who is going through time zones and trying to murder someone at midnight in every time zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That is a great premise. Um, but I don't remember if that actually ever occurs. Like that's like the premise, but it's mostly, and he calls in and his calls are all hilarious. He has calls in threatening calls throughout the movie. And I remember those being really funny. Uh, but it being really boring otherwise. Sure. Um, next film, Cannibal Ferox, directed by Umberto Lenzi from Italy. Uh, I've seen this film, but all I remember is the uh, parts where like the animals were killed. I don't yeah. actually remember what this movie is like. It's um, it's really more of like it's like gangster. A drug dealer goes to hide out in the in the jungle and takes advantage and tortures a bunch of uh natives uh when the hunters are away the hunters come back do the same to him and the poor saps who happen to run into them um it's really just was, a this, torture po- was this post cannibal holocaust just barely it was uh Lindsay and Regera diodato were sort of dueling gross out cannibal movies at the time like, they made the bulk of those Italian cannibal movies. There's a couple other directors. Uh, Joe D'Amato did, a, did one or two. But it was really just the two of them trying to gross each other out. So this was Lindsay's Ultimate, which doesn't have the cool concept and, and craft of uh, Cannibal Holocaust. But the prep, but the at least the basic structure of the story sounds basically the same. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's because it's not that well made. If you take away the animal murders, it's actually pretty easy to watch. Like, it's hard to take it seriously. But there are horrible animal murders, and they serve absolutely no purpose. It's you can argue the animal murders in Holocaust serve a purpose, Cannibal Holocaust. uh, Even if you can argue, but there's no way to argue it in this case. 
Sure. Um, so the next film is the TV movie I was talking about earlier. We were talking about Salem's Lot, 1981, directed by Frank De Faleta, um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I haven't seen this one in forever. I get it confused with Night of the Scarecrows, and I keep so Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is there is this mentally disabled man who's friends with a little girl, and these uh these kind of redneck farmers don't like it and they kill him because they think he's going to molest her or they think he has molested her and then slowly they get sort of picked off but it's a tv movie so their their deaths are not very gruesome and um and it's and the pacing is really dreadful as sort of it's dawning on them what's happening um and there's only 3 of them so again not much of a body count either the the greatest moment uh, at the end is the is the final shot because it's the shot that inspired May in which like the little girl goes to the scarecrow um, after the final guy has been murdered and the scarecrow puts its arms around her and it's the first time you actually see the scarecrow move um, and it's I think the end the last shot of May is a direct uh, take on that that would make sense I think it's one of those um, movies people have fond memories of because they saw it on TV at a young age right yeah and I totally you know more power to them but uh, it's certainly uh, not if you haven't seen it. Um, it it's I'm not saying I don't think you necessarily get a lot out of it. Um, now the next film I'm I have no idea why this is on the list uh, other than someone really liked it. Uh, Amityville Two: The Possession, 1982, directed by uh, Damiano Damanini. Uh, it's an American Mexican Italian co-production. I don't know anything about this movie. It's what it, it is out like just the premise, just the title, and the countries involved. Make me intrigued, though. What it is is it's a it's a sort of official ripoff. It's a ripoff that became an official canon movie. That's actually a prequel and sticks closer to the story uh, of the pre like the pre murder story. And it's actually pretty. It's it's easily the best of the Amityville movies. I would say um, not exactly a well regarded uh, series. No, but... because the first one's really boring and i i can't remember i think it's the third one has some entertaining moments and then it just gets really awful but it, it's it it has a really uh i can't remember actor names off the top of my head the guy who plays uh uh paulie in the rocky movies i can't remember his name uh he's the abusive drunk dad and so he's got a really over-the-top performance from him and then it's got this really disturbing uh uh uh, brother sister relationship that gets more and more sexual as the movie goes on and uh i think the reason it's most well regarded is because the climax is really sam raimi like it look it, it, it i guess it came out at just after evil dead had finally been released so i don't know if uh damiani was directly influenced but it has some shots that are exactly the same as shots in in uh evil dead like the one where the camera wraps around Bruce Campbell holding the shotgun. Oh, sweet. It's almost the exact same shot. It, it's an entertaining and genuinely disturbing movie, and it's I can understand why people like it. I think it I don't never make my top ten list, but it's the best of the, the Amityville next, movies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, the next film is The Entity from 1982, directed by Sidney J. Fury. And, as I was doing research, it's written by... The guy who directed Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, Frank De Falita. So that's interesting. <laughs> I knew that. Uh, basically, this is Barbara Hershey is getting raped by a ghost. Pretty much. That's the that's, ghost. I mean, that's it's that's really sort of long. Crass, too. That's sort of the crass way that it's been sort of explained to me. It's it's well made. It's it has a lot more in common with 
Poltergeist. Um, it, I, I can't remember what year Poltergeist came out. The same year, I think. They both have a lot of that um, stuff where people are setting up uh, equipment to read paranormal uh, readings and stuff like that. And they're like putting Barbara Hershey in, in a test situation to try to figure out what's happening to her. And that kind of stuff is good. And and the, and the rape scenes are kind of like, I guess, well done, but they're also kind of comedic accidentally, I think. And and it's long. I think it's more than two hours long, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I know Jim, Jim saw this for the first time recently, and he was a big fan, except for the ending. I don't remember what happens at the end, to tell you the truth. It's been a long time. I've, 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 yeah, I haven't seen it. I've always just heard it's nuts ending. Next film uh, is a film that has sort of gotten a revival. I feel like especially this year, just um, from what I've seen on like the Twitter sphere and stuff. But in over the past couple years, I, it feels like has definitely gotten a reappreciation. Halloween three season of the witch from 1982 directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Now I've never liked this movie and it has nothing to do with the lack of Michael Myers. I just don't think it's a particularly well told story. And I think that the main character is supremely unlikable. <laughs> um, in an off-putting way, uh, but it's definitely a film that people seem to really like now. I like things about it. I like the concept. It's very weird. Um, yeah, and I like the uh, the the really weird the villain's plan and the stuff with the masks making bugs and snakes come out of kids' faces. Um, but yeah, it's weirdly paced. Um, yeah, and I'm not I'm not a very big fan of the. Uh, who who is the lead now? Tom Atkins. Atkins. I like Atkins a lot more in a lot of other movies. Sure, um, Night of the Creeps. Yeah, he's great. Much in that. better. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, I like it better than any of the other Halloween sequels, just because I don't really like the Halloween sequels very much. I guess. Oh, I loved. I love Halloween too. It's a uh, that would be my third favorite, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but um, but no, it's uh, it's it's I don't know. It's I think a lot of people they like the idea of Halloween being an anthology series. It would have been nice. Um, and I like that idea too. And I think that would have been better than a bunch of Michael Myers movies. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of these of Halloween three season of which, but if you are, there's a really great Blu-ray out now and it's probably, you can probably get it used really cheap now that that Halloween yeah. Blu-ray box set has come out. A lot of people have probably sold theirs. I've been noticing that I go to like half price books here in town and there's a lot of Halloween single discs on the shelf now. And it's got a, it's got a great score by John Carpenter, and it's uh, sh- who's John Carpenter's uh, cinematographer? Uh, oh, jeez, Cundy, Dean, Dean Cundy. Yeah, Dean Cundy shoots it, and it looks really good. Um, so uh, I don't know. Check it out if you want to. Next is 1982 Creep Show, directed by George A. Romero, written by him and Stephen King. Uh, tribute to EC Comics, classic, classic movie. Again, surprise it only got the one vote. Yeah. Um I I I I like this a lot. Me and Jim did a commentary track for it. Um not every story holds up as well as the others, but that's just there is no anthology movie in which every story is equally good. And there's good stuff about even the like I think the the yeah. crate might be the weakest story, but those scenes of uh Hallbrook imagining murdering his wife are still really hilarious to me fantastic yeah everyone applauding yeah um yeah it's i i, I think uh it's a it's a pretty good one uh it's we talked about it a little bit on the 
on the Romero episode that just came out. Right. Next is from 1983, The Dead Zone by David Cronenberg. Um, uh, adaptation of the Stephen King novel. It's got a great melancholy tone to it, and Christopher Walken is really good in it. Really good. Another one I just never, even though it's Stephen King and Cronenberg, I just never think of it as a horror movie. It's more of a sci-fi movie, I feel. Yeah, it really... Because, there is the well, killer. I forget about the killer. Right. The first plot, there's a, like, it, it sort of has two separate plots. And the first part of the movie is he comes back and they use the psychic... It's basically a guy in a coma, and then when he wakes up, he has psychic powers. And so the cops use his psychic powers to track down a serial killer. And that has some really creepy moments, including a really great one involving a pair of scissors and an open mouth. Yes. Um, and then – but then after that is solved, then it moves on to sort of a – it's almost a political thriller in which he has to uh, – in which he is trying to figure out uh, – he basically has to try to stop a – presidential candidate because he sees a terrible future after that president's elected and it, it's an, a very intriguing yeah very sci-fi premise because it's basically if you know that something horrible is going to happen if this person's elected there's no human humanly way you can convince people that that you know that's true you basically just have to go it alone in stopping it from happening you know yeah and it's a did you very ever read tragic the book? ending uh, I have I have not read the book. Okay, because no. I haven't either, and I've heard that it it just goes. And I've heard somebody say that the killer is technically in the book series reincarnated as Cujo. Yes. Okay, that's crazy to me. I, I it is. It is. Well, Cujo was written, I think, during one of his like cases. Okay. <laughs> I, I I read something where Stephen King has no memory of writing Cujo at all. Okay. So that that makes more sense. Yeah. There's. The book version of Cujo has weird, uh, yeah, overtones. It's not just a dog stuff. with uh, rabies. Yeah. Okay. Um, unusual. So the next film is a film that neither of us have seen. Uh, Poison for Fairies, 1984, directed by Carlos Enrique uh, Taboada. Taboada? Taboada. Taboada, it looks like. Taboada. And uh, it has a kind of a – it's about two little girls – mucking around with witchcraft it it's it predates Guillermo del Toro but that's just obviously the first thing that comes to my mind cuz it's Mexican when i hear the premise <laughs> yeah i don't nothing this is the one movie on the list i have never even heard of before so, so kudos to whoever likes it enough to put it on their list sure and it, i don't know when in looking it up uh, i saw that the entirety is subtitled on youtube Oh, okay. So I didn't know. if I can't find a legitimate way to watch it, uh, that might be a way for me to do so. Because it, it certainly uh, sounds intriguing. Um, next film, 1984's Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. Uh, classic comedy. Again, uh, calling it a horror might be a bit of a stretch, but horror. But it's, a, it's certainly a monster movie. It's a monster. And and it, I think mon- it's got some good scares, too, actually. Oh yeah, no, that's true. Especially with the "Do you hear what I hear?" Yep. Sort of use of the mute, like of that uh, Christmas Carol is really good. And but yeah, it's Joe Dante, so they're mostly played as like kind of gags and not uh, for actual terror or dread. Right. But uh, Gremlins. If you haven't seen Gremlins, I don't know who you are. <laughs> Next, also uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, nineteen eighty four, directed by Wes Craven. Uh, kind of uh, speaks for itself. Uh, this is one of three Nightmare on Elm Street movies uh, that are on this list, though they're probably not – one of those movies is not the one you would have expected to end up on the list. Um, 
But yeah, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. You know about it. Uh, next is 1985's Return of the Living Dead, directed by Dan O'Bannon. Classic. Again, can't believe this only got one vote. Classic horror comedy. Yeah, there's there, – there, uh, uh, I don't think it exists anymore, but at the time, there was a big – you either like Return of the Living Dead or you like Day of the Dead. <laughs> that was like a big deal at the time because Return was seen – even though it wasn't really a big studio movie, it was seen as the studio movie because it had the R rating and the mainstream appeal. So there was a very kind of punk rock – ironically, a punk rock kind of against it. Push – yeah, pushback. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, it's funny that Return of the Living Dead is a movie that has actually had a lot of cultural um, uh, sort of uh, shockwaves come out of it, if only because I think this is the movie where zombies eat brains. Yeah, it's, and it's the first one. It's still the only it, series where, where they are brain eaters, I think. I don't know if yeah, any it, but that is that. but zombie brain eaters is just a thing. It's just like an aspect of zombies that I guess now because zombies are uh, more mainstream that everything is just now the Romero or actually to be more specific, it's the Cronenberg rabid version of a zombie. Yeah, but like for a long time, it was just like yeah, zombies eat brains. The first running um, and, running zombies that were actually dead people too. Yeah, well, again, I think I think Rabbit by but they Cronenberg. Are, are they dead in Rabbit? I guess I can't remember if they're just infected. No, no, it's true. They're infected. But, uh, again, a lot of modern zombie movies are inf- in which people are they're running. It's infected, not yeah. uh, not dead people. Um, and they, But they, they, they're very strategic about when they run in this movie. Only it's, – it's the Roger Rabbit rule. Only when it's funny. Right. <laughs> Right, <laughs> which is like when they all swarm on the cops, and then they say "send more cops." Classic. Return of Living Dead's great. Can't believe only one person voted for it, though. I don't think I voted for it. I didn't either. So there we go. Shame on us. Next is the stuff, nineteen eighty-five, directed by Larry Cohen. Uh, another great horror comedy uh, about uh, killer yogurt. It's a satire on sort of diet fads and stuff, but it's also kind of a take on the blob. On the, yeah, the blob. Little over long, but maybe my second favorite Cohen movie. What's your first? I think Q, the Winged Serpent, is the one that I keep coming back to. Sure, stuff is really good though. It is. Um, I don't think Q is on this list. Um, no, it's not. But um, st- if you wanna, if you want a really funny movie that uh, horror movie that is knowingly funny, stuff is a good one to go to. Um, Day of the Dead. By George Romero, 1985 is the next film. We've talked about Day of the Dead a lot uh, on the last George Romero episode, but basically, it's Day of the Dead. It's uh, it's slower, it's more talky, uh, it's got more fevered performances, but it's also got crazy great makeup. And, and a cool story, it's just that the performances are a little too much at times. Yeah, I, I think I would enjoy the story more if it was... Yeah, I don't know. I I, I never qu- can quite uh, get into the story because everything is so broad. The, the bad guys are such assholes, and the good guys are so put upon. And did you, you know, something I forgot to mention during the Romero podcast? Did you notice that uh, Martin is in it? No, the actor Ampla. He's he's the bearded, uh, whiny scientist that's complaining about not having enough stuff. Ha! <laughs> that's great. I can't remember how he dies. That. I think he just gets murdered. Uh, I think he just yeah, gets think, shot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Next is Fright Night, 1985, directed by Tom Holland. I love this movie. I don't know if this was on my list or someone else submitted it, but I really think it's a great um, – it's a great uh, s- sort of context for the – for an exploration of the sexual powers of vampires because it the main character is an awkward teenage kid who has no sexual powers of his own. Um, so instead of – Instead of the the sexuality being just inherently evil because the film has like a Christian moral base the way that like Hammer Hammer films are, this film is sort of like this guy's evil because he could fuck my girlfriend better than I could and it makes me bad mad and it has that you know and it's fun and it's got great effects and it's got that kind of cheesy 80s appeal to it but it actually does have that sort of strong theme running under it that makes me really like it a lot. Yeah, I know you're not you're not quite as it's, big of a fan. It's one of those it. good movies that I don't really like. <laughs> sure, sure. So this next film, another vampire film I've never heard of, Mister Vampire, directed by Ricky Lau from Hong Kong. What is this? This is one of mine. Uh, this is there's a whole bunch of '80s and early '90s uh, kung fu horror comedies that came out of Hong Kong. Uh, Chinese Ghost Story is probably the most famous, and the Mister Vampire is probably the best. It's very funny. It's got great, uh, well shot fight scenes. Um, it's it's a great introduction to the whole hopping vampire uh, kind of mythology. Uh, it, it was followed by a bunch of sequels, and none of them are as good as the original. Uh, but it's it's the best of a whole genre that kind of gets i think overlooked more recently it used to be something that was always there was there was a show on discovery channel called the incredibly strange film show that did a whole episode about these kind of movies i think it was more covered back in in the 90s when people were kind of realizing how important sam raimi was and so these kind of weird comedic high action horror movies were kind of in vogue and now it's the whole genre kind of seems to have disappeared to me <clears throat> So next is uh, Aliens, nineteen eighty six, directed by James Cameron. Um, again, sci fi movie, action movie, horror movie. It's certainly less of a horror movie than the first film, but the first film was off limits, and this one does have significant tension. And that face hugger scene is pure uh, great horror set piece. Yeah, this scene where they're where they're getting picked off when the gung ho marines go in and get picked off is is definitely very very suspenseful. And intense. I guess and I kind of. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan of this film. And I, honestly, that scene is a big part of it because there's. A, I think the film does an incredible job building up uh, tension. And I think that whole visually, that whole scene in which they're getting picked off is like incoherent. Well, and it's it's a big. It predates a whole bunch of found footage movies now and video. Oh games, sure, yeah. I guess I. I. It's one of those movies I. I like a little bit less. As I get older, I guess it kind of mm-hmm. feels like, besides the 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 fact that the Ripley character is so good, and there's all these mother subtexts, as wonderful subtext to her character, it kind of feels like a t- movie for teenagers that happens to be rated R. Yeah, and I mean well, that in a good way, mostly. Wait, you say that as if that's like a it's a specific phenomenon to this film, when in fact most films that yeah. are rated R yeah. are for teenage boys. Well, especially James Cameron films. Like I still yeah. don't understand how Terminator Two got an R rating. It yeah, 
I, I felt like by the time I was allowed to see it, I was already too old for it. But its language is uh, for sure the reason. Yeah, I guess. Um, next is Manhunter, nineteen eighty six. Michael Mann, amazing, creepy serial, serial killer movie. And- uh, maybe my favorite uh, serial killer movie. As far as like uh, the hunt for the serial killer, I like this more than Silence of the Lambs. I will always like Silence of the Lambs more, but this is one that I like more every time I see it, and one that is uh, now more relevant to me personally because I'm so in love with the uh, Hannibal TV show. Oh, sure. Which is building up to this this basic story right now, even though they're changing a lot about it. I believe the next season is going to mostly be this story. The Red Dragon story? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's and it this has... Uh, a really, really, really great use of Indigata de Vida. Yeah, and it's like I, it makes it a cool song. It's not a cool I, I, song. I always like that song. <laughs> but, but it's not a cool song, and it makes no, it, it a really not. cool song. Yeah. <laughs> Next, 1986, Night of the Creeps, directed by Fred Decker. Horror comedy, sort of uh, brain-stealing uh, sl- uh, alien slugs that uh, turn people into zombies. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty crazy pastiche. Uh, yeah, what James Gunn inadvertently ripped it off with uh, Slither. He mm-hmm. he was really like he. I believe him. He claimed he didn't actually know this movie and was very apologetic after someone pointed out how much they had in common. But uh, I think Night of the Creeps is the best of its kind of like m- mainstream appropriate eighties horror comedies of that type. It's probably my favorite of of that that whole uh, subgenre. Yeah, I'd pro- I'd, I would probably agree with that. I think it's because it, it's really less of an 80s movie and more of a 50s movie that happens to take place in the 80s. Yeah, it's. I think it's the more well-executed, you know, in no small part because of better budget, but also better script, like sort of 50s throwback that uh, Deadly Spawn kind of feels like. Right. Um, and I, I saw Deadly Spawn for the first time recently. I really enjoyed that. Um, next is Blue Velvet, 1986, directed by David Lynch. Um, again, very arguable if this is a horror movie or not, but it's definitely suspenseful and scary. Yeah. This is another movie, uh, like most of Lynch's movies, that I really want to like, and I watch it a lot. I've probably seen it six times, seven times, and it just... I feel like like an asshole for not liking it that, as much <laughs> as everybody else. It's it, it's not often. Usually, I own the movies I don't like, but this is one that I really want to be a fan of, and I think it's a very special movie. And I'm happy it exists, and I'm happy it has its great uh, fandom behind it. And I just don't really enjoy watching it. Yeah, I love it, but it it almost it comes with it's. It, I love it the same way I love Primer, where I just love it, accepting that at a certain point it's going to lose me. Um, yeah, and towards the end of the movie, it definitely loses me every time. Um, not that it gets bad, but it just it gets hard to follow. Um, next, 1986, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, directed by John McNaughton. Now, this is I think the IMDb year. I don't know. I think there was a long delay between 84, being made and I think it, it was being actually released. shot. Okay, I think. Yeah, I think it took it two years with with ratings issue. No, no, you know what? No, it was shot in '86 and it wasn't released until '89. I think. Yeah, I, I thought this was That's like closer to That's what it is. to late '80s, early '90s. But at any rate, we're putting it here. Bleak as fuck, serial killer. Yes. Um, there's a lot of movie. Like I, I, I am kind of tired of this the serial killer narrative in which you're following someone's obsession with murder and it goes down the rabbit hole, and it, it tends to be very predictable. And I, 
it's it's hard for me to get invested in it. But um, I think this is probably the best version of that. Yeah, and it's an early version of it. And yeah, it's it's a special movie that's very hard to watch. Oh yeah. Next, uh, The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. I've never seen this. Uh, it's another one I wish I liked more than I do. It's a little too low-key for me, um, but it's a really cool premise and a really good lead performance, and it's well-made. Uh, I, again, I'm bad with actor names if I don't have a browser open, but I don't right now. Uh, uh, the guy was on Lost. He's really great in it. Um, and, and, yeah, it's an interesting story. Uh, the sequel was pretty. The first sequel was pretty good too, if I remember right. The remake was awful, like unwatchably bad. Sure. Um, the next film I submitted, 1987, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: The Dream Warriors by Chuck Russell. This to me is the greatest 80s horror movie, which is not necessarily to say it's the best horror movie to come out of the 80s. But whenever I think about 80s horror and all of the good things about that, I think this best exemplifies it. I love the shit out of this is it's it's crazy to me it, it's what it's one of those things where Nightmare on Elm Street was already a really good premise and but this just little this additional context in which the dreams are actually reflecting the problems the kids have and they're all troubled youth and like that to me is just the best possible uh version of of that uh premise. I it's my favorite of the series too and it's a movie that it's one of those movies I love that I think could be remade really well with uh given, you know, modern special effects and the the fact that modern horror movies are allowed to be a little bit more uh conceptual now. Um I think you could really push a lot of the darker aspects of it. But from what I never did see the Night of the Living or I'm sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street remake that they did make. I heard it was terrible. It is, but this yeah. is what I would have thought they would have done is something like the Dream Warriors with with modern sensibilities. Well, the problem is it was Platinum Dunes, and they don't do anything that doesn't have a dark, dreary tone. Right, that was and shot this... using one light. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> too. Um, no, this. Yeah, I I love this movie. This movie is like it's 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 that kind of movie like Final Destination Two, where. You st- it, it's a sequel in which it just explodes a film's premise in ways that you weren't expecting, and it's just pure pure joy. Um, the next film, uh, 1987, uh, The Gate by Tibor Takax, I guess is how you pronounce it. Yeah. I- uh, it's an American-Canadian film. I've never seen this, but I know Jim is a big fan. I think he might have submitted it. I think he did, too. I saw it on his letterbox with, like, five stars. It's... It's amusing, uh, fun movie. You know, you know how most people know this movie is because the little creatures in it, um, a gif of them with uh, uh, somebody else's face. Who uh, I'm really doing bad with actor names today. Who's a, who's a crazy actor that everybody you know? Just the crazy Michael Shannon. No, no, just like oh, Christ. He he was in the Ginger Dead Man. Oh, Gary Busey. Yes, there's a gif where somebody has taken the creatures from this movie and grafted Gary Busey's head onto them. That's a really common popular gif of them running around. So 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 the so the most enduring legacy of the gate might in fact just be its meme potential. Yes. <laughs> but it's fun. It's about a kid who finds a a hole in the ground and what happens with the creatures inside the hole. It's a little bit like a 
God, I'm hoping I'm thinking of the right movie too. Now I'm starting to doubt myself. But it's a little bit like, uh, uh, are you uh, are you afraid of the dark? Um, don't be afraid. Don't of the be dark. afraid of the dark. The original and the remake, I suppose. It's, it has that kind of thing where it's kids and little tiny monsters, and the kids dealing with the little tiny monsters. Sweet. Next, 1987, Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter. This is a, a, a favorite of mine, but only as I'm watching it. And then it slowly becomes not a favorite of mine as it gets to the third act. But I, there's so many things about this movie I adore. I've talked about this movie uh, several times, I think, on the podcast. It's, I, it's really effective in a lot of ways. And I think the opening is maybe the strongest opening of, his, of John Carpenter's career. Yeah. Yeah, I found I had to because they put it on Blu-ray this year, and I had to write a review of it, and I found it really hard to find my thoughts on it. It's because it is strong and weak in equal parts. Yeah, but when it's good, it's really good, and it's it's more it's very creative at the very least. Yes. Oh yeah. And but my my advice this is this was basically my letterbox review. My advice is once you see the man who's decomposing into insects, say. I have a message for you, and you're not going to like it. Just turn off the movie and imagine your own ending, because uh, it'll probably be better. It kind of, <laughs> yeah, it kind of turns into a Lucio Fulci movie. It, it just gross stuff happening that doesn't really make any sense. Um, yeah. If you do like it, though, I do. It was sort of inspired by those Quatermass movies, and I definitely recommend the third Quatermass, Quatermass in the Pit. Is one of, is is one that I wish was on this list but was not. Sure. Next, uh, nineteen also nineteen eighty seven, The Hidden, directed by Jack Shoulder. What is this film? This is the one where uh, there's an alien that can jump between bodies, and it's got uh, it's like a cop movie. Uh, the two cops are. And it's kind of been redone as in in different ways as not official remakes, but other movies where a copper detective is kind of chasing a entity that can skip bodies there was like virtuosity uh kind of remade it i'm trying to remember who plays the cops in the hidden i think it's uh i i, I it's uh kyle mclaughlin yeah, is one of them mclaughlin and yeah he's the more he's he's the good cop and the other guy's the bad cop if you will um yeah it's a, that sounds like the premise of the borrower the oh is it yes yeah, see i haven't movie. seen that one yet and there's another one it's not just virtuosity there's another one that uh, actually had a spirit falling or fall in maybe. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's it's an interesting premise and a kind of good lower budget '80s cop movie. Um, I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't remember exactly how good it is, but it's entertaining at the very least. Sure. Next, uh, 1988, uh, Amsterdam, uh, directed by Dick Moss. What is Amsterdam? I there's another one I just happened to have seen this year. And it's it's another cop movie. It's 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 a uh, it's a Dutch giallo where the killer is they can't figure out how the killer is getting away and doing stuff, and it's because he's actually got a scuba suit and is swimming down the channels in Amsterdam and coming out of the water and killing someone, then going back into the water. And there's this one just gonzo awesome scene where uh, he has hung a body over a bridge. And uh, a tour group is going through and, you know, being dumb, boring tour group, like on your left, you'll see the and then suddenly they go under a bridge and this woman's dead, bloody body starts scraping against the top of the uh, boat. 
and just raining blood on everybody. And, and just, <laughs> it goes on way longer than it should. And everybody's just screaming and yelling. And it's it's great. And it's it's it was a really entertaining movie. The cop is really dry and kind of pissed off all the time. It's sort of like a Dutch filmmaker trying to do the the I'm too old for this shit type cop, even though he's not that old, I guess. But that grizzled cop character. It's sort of a bunch of different genre tropes filtered through an unlikely uh, filmmaker. And it's, I recommend it if you can find it. It's I don't think it ever got a U.S. release as far as I know. Next film, 1988, Jack's Back, directed by Rowdy Harrington, uh, in which James Spader is the reincarnation of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Well, I've never seen this. It's, it's all right. Uh, it feels a little like a TV movie, but it's well made, and Spader's pretty good. Um, it, it's, uh, I guess it's a little bit like a modern version, an 80s version of the... Um, Hammer film, uh, Hands of the Ripper, which is about a woman who is a reincarnation of Jack the Ripper. Uh, it's not a movie that I've seen it a couple times, and I can barely remember any plot lines, to tell you the truth. Sure. Next, 1988, The Blob remake by Chuck Russell. Um, he had a good couple of years there. Yeah, yeah. He did uh, Dream Warriors in 87, and then he did The Blob remake in 88. Blob remake in 88, great special effects-driven horror I wouldn't say horror comedy, but it's definitely a lighter horror film. It has, yeah, it has jokes. And the Blob stuff is genuinely disturbing. Just mm-hmm. This was an early, like, I remember seeing the trailer as a kid in front of some movie that probably shouldn't have had a horror movie trailer in front of it. And the, the tagline being, if it, had a, if it had a body, they could shoot it. If it had a mind, <laughs> they could reason with it. And yeah, and the great scene where the guy gets pulled down the uh, garbage disposal or from with or the the drain. Yeah, yeah, great, gross, uh, fun '80s uh, action comedy uh, horror movie. Next, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four: The Dream Warrior, 1988, directed by Rennie Harlan. No, no, the Dream Master. I'm, oh, the Dream Master. That's right. Uh, I got I got it wrong on the uh, thing here. It's, so it's the Dream Master, it's the sequel to uh, Dream Warriors. Um, it's it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's better than the fifth one. It's I like it more than uh, New Nightmare, though. I'm surprised that that this is on the list and New Nightmare isn't because it's generally not viewed as a, a, a good movie. It was the most popular one. It made the most money. Um, well, isn't that with the with franchises? It's always the money that one makes is due to popularity of the last one. Sometimes, yeah, and and definitely uh, five made the least money. Five, I think, came out less than a year later. I think it was only like ten months later. I think sure. I think Dream- both four and five are entertaining and really well made, and have good nightmare scenes. Um, I think I think four is well made. I don't. I don't. I don't think five is particularly. Well I, I think all. five is the most interesting and abstract of all of them, um, but four has the best. Four might have the best kills in the whole series, actually. But it just Roach Motel scene is amazing, and the acting is better than I remember. I rewatched them when I got the whole Blu-ray set, and the acting in four is much better than I remember. It's actually kind of good acting for what it's worth, you know. The the yeah. lead girl is is a huge upgrade over uh, uh, most of the other leads throughout the series as far as acting goes. Even if it's she has true. to do stupid, silly things like have that montage where she takes all the 
pictures of her friends off the mirror and and straps parts of their wardrobe onto herself to <laughs> to go fight Freddy. <laughs> I, th- I think they, I think they found a good director in Rennie Harlan. Uh, you, if you watch like Prison, the movie he made before Prison's this, like great. it has that kind of feeling and tone. Yeah, Prison's Prison's a blast. I liked Rennie Harlan for a long time. I think he's he's a director who has just started to suck. As you know, I think I don't know what happened to him, but he made some really good action movies over the nineties. Um, so the next film is Dead Ringers, nineteen eighty eight, directed by David Cronenberg. Uh, David Cronenberg, probably the most uh, uh, the director with the most appearances on this list, uh, other than maybe John Carpenter. Um, it's a, it's all it's all right. It's I mean, Dead Ringer is really good. I guess what I meant to say is I guess I see it as a horror movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think it's a horror movie either. But uh, there's intense there's intense moments and it's psychological. Yeah. Um, there's definitely creepy aspects. It, um, it's, it's one of those movies that, in retrospect, I always like it more than when I'm actually watching it because yeah. there's a lot about it that's kind of pedestrian when you're watching it. And it doesn't flow as well as some of his better movies. There's just some yeah. period there in the later '80s and '90s where he kind of lost his his 90 minutes of perfection kind of thing. That, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, but it's still we'll one of my favorites. I think. I think it, it'd be in my top six, five for him. I think. Yeah. I mean that Jeremy Irons. It's funny because Jeremy Irons looks so much like Boris Karloff, and Boris Karloff did that film, The Black Room, in which he played his own twin brother. Yeah, and there was one evil and one good, and the and uh, Jeremy Irons in this is gives a great two great performances, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next is 1988, The Vanishing, directed by uh, Georges uh, Sluzier. It's a Netherlands French film. It's great. Yeah. It's the horror is again maybe a stretch, really uh, terrifying my opinion, but it's, ending, but not really a horror movie. Yeah, it's it's but it's fantastic uh, thriller. Um, yeah, it's vanish. It's a very good real, you know. Um, it's it's real life. It's kind of got something in common with stuff like Vertigo, I think. Yeah, but obsessive need to know how this happened. It, you know, following an obsessive character who you like but maybe shouldn't like, kind of, it it's definitely worth seeing. I though though from though there's another character it follows that after a certain point, and that's the part of the movie I always remember. Yeah, um, it has a really great ending, but to me the most uh, to me the the part of the movie that works the best is when you're following the uh, that other character. And I don't want to spoil anything because uh, this is actually a movie I think a lot of people maybe haven't seen. And yeah, and they really should make sure they watch this one and not the American remake that makes the ending oh, yeah happy. Uh, yeah, it so might men... be on Hulu, but I can't remember because I think that I think that Criterion had the DVD release, and I think they're doing a Blu-ray soon enough. Cool, Men Behind the Sun, nineteen eighty-eight by uh, Tan Fei Mao, a Hong Kong China production. About the horrors of Japan during World War II. Uh, this was on one of your lists that you did for directors. Yeah, a uh, torture movies. It's one of it's the first of a series of movies about the Nanking massacre and uh, tests that the Japanese uh, ran on the Chinese. Um, this one it was followed. Uh, Man Behind the Sun Two had a different name. There were three of them that were all this series, and then there was a fourth. Uh, just about the Nanking Massacre, and they're really over-the-top, violent. 
uh, movies that are kind of pretending to be a social statement that are absolutely not. They're just pure exploitation, and they're really upsetting. And so they kind of score points for pulling off some, you know, by the by the mid '80s, there wasn't a lot you could shock audiences with already, and I think they're they're really still very shocking movies. This one's isn't the this best. The, this is isn't this the film in which uh, a cat's being devoured by rats? Yeah, the cat and and that it's most famous for that. Which uh, the cat was actually fine. Apparently, they just put honey on it, and so the rats were licking it. And then, that's that is I love that story. That's yeah. so cute. And then the but then the poor rats were burned to death in the next scene. So the rats oh. didn't survive the movie, but the cat did. Um, the most notorious thing in the whole movie is that the director somehow convinced a couple to film their son's autopsy. And so there's a real autopsy with uh, doctors dressed in period appropriate garb of a child of a child. Ugh. Yeah. It's 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 a revolting. The the most famous image I believe is a woman has her arms, and this was a real thing that happened. Most of it's ba- it's all based on real stuff that happened. But a woman has her arms put into uh, some sort of fast freezing solution like liquid nitrogen, and then very matter of factly, a doctor just tears all her skin off. Just just one stroke, her, tears her frozen skin off, and she's left with these gross skeleton hands screaming, and it's. It doesn't. When I describe it, it doesn't sound particularly gross and terrifying. But the way it's shot is so matter of fact and just revolting. It sounds pretty. It sounds pretty bad to me. Yeah, it's. Speaking of speaking of revolting, next film is Clown House from 1989, directed by Victor Salva. Now, Victor Salva is a convicted was a convicted child molester, and apparently there is a lot of really gross pedophilia sort of overtones to this film. Well, and he actually. This was the movie he was arrested for. Um, mm-hmm. The lead actor, the kid, um, he got to perform oral sex on him and filmed it. Uh, so he actually went to jail for things he did on the set of this movie. So but I, that, that that scene is not in this movie. No, that scene is not in this movie. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, but so is it out. Side of that, I've never separate... seen it. I I don't think no. it's available anywhere because whoever owns it is so ashamed of it that they never put sure. it out uh, on DVD I... or anything. That seems reasonable. Next is The Intruder, nineteen eighty nine, directed by St- Scott Spiegel. I think this was on Jim's list. Hilarious, uh, really really fun slasher movie. It takes place in a grocery store. I think about this movie pretty much every time I work yeah. <laughs> at my own grocery store. As we're putting away all of the implements that I could see used as for our destruction, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's a found uh, instead of found footage horror movie, it's a found uh, location horror movie where they just built their entire movie around stuff that they had access to. It's re- I it's highly recommend it Intruder. Sounds. It's really well shot, really interesting yeah. shots. Um. Pet Cemetery, 1989, by Mary Lambert uh, from America. This is the next film. The uh, Stephen King adaptation. I think it's an all right adaptation. Yeah, it, I like it. I mean, a, it's, it, it's. I remember when it came out. It was there was a lot of backlash against it for being violence against children and just being generally inappropriate. And it seems so quaint now. Yeah. 
because because it's such a fantasy setting. Yeah, and it. it and most of it's left to your imagination, and there's no cruelty in it. And even when he has to kill the little kid, he's crying about it. Mm-hmm. There's um there's a uh, the the one thing about this movie that I remember being super effective and really good is I mean the premise of the movie is this guy's pet cat gets killed by a a truck because they live next to like a freeway. They or live in a, the worst area ever. Like right, they live basically right on a, off of a freeway where trucks are constantly going by at fifty miles per hour, and um, then his cat gets killed and he brings it back. And basically, the way that they establish that freeway, like constantly throughout the movie, these giant eighteen wheelers are just intruding into the frame, and it's actually really effective at building tension in that way. I think um, the rest of it, I'm not a huge fan of. But. I think that it's it's a that that Pet Cemetery is a testament to how good of a director Mary Lambert is. Because I think she made memorable things out of a not particularly memorable screenplay. Yeah. Um, and and next, did not have good actors work other than uh, what's his name, uh, Fred Gwynn. Yeah, other than Gwynn, it, not very good actors. <laughs> um, next is uh, we finally get into the '90s, and this is going to be a short interlude in the '90s yeah, because it's cause, the '90s. The '90s, <laughs> not a great time for horror. Um, 1990 Troll 2, Claudio Fragasso. Not a scary movie at all. Nope. I'm sure whoever put this on their list doesn't find it to be a particularly scary movie. They must just enjoy it. If you haven't heard about Troll 2, best worst movie documentary covers everything you need to know about it. Or just watch the movie. Best worst movie is is very entertaining. And at, at Fragasso's uh, expense for the most part. But he made terrible movies. Like most people haven't seen his other horrible italian horror movies he was he was bad he was a bad yeah. bad filmmaker <laughs> yeah i i think i think troll 2 i i think troll 2 is a good example though of the difference between good bad movies and bad bad movies and right. that it is well paced in its ridiculousness and its stupidity yeah and where pretty much every five minutes there's something new that is just jaw-droppingly idiotic or some new line reading that you think is like the worst thing you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and it keeps your attention throughout. And there are a lot of bad movies that are just boring because they're just poorly made. Yep. Um, whereas this, they stumbled into something interesting. But horror movie, put on top 10 list of horror, of horror movies. That's an interesting choice. Next is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, 1992, directed by David Lynch. Have you seen this, Gabe? You know, I've actually never seen this movie. I've seen the whole series, but I've never actually sat down with this movie. Mostly because I've I'm heard gonna, bad I'm things. I'm rewatching about it. the series uh, kind of slowly right now, and eventually I'm going to go back and watch this as well. I did not like this movie at all. Most people hated this, it when it came out. Well, basically, the thing is, this movie—if you're a fan of Twin Peaks and the characters—this movie omits most of the characters and it changes a lot of the characters and it's an entirely separate thing and it deals with a lot of the similar themes but it approaches them in an entirely different way so that if you want more of that Twin Peaks feeling you're not going to get it here Mm -hmm. but it is a really disturbing movie Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of effective moments but I hated it when I saw it because I was like damn it that's not Twin Peaks (laughs) you know so I want to give it a rewatch um Next, Cemetery Man, 1994, directed by Michel Suave, uh, Italy, France, Germany, uh, co-production. Crazy movie. We talked about this on the Romero episode because I just saw it for the first time. Love this movie to death. I'm pretty sure if I, I put if, this one on my list. I think this was me. If I, it would have been on my list if I had made my list uh, at the uh, time after I had seen it. Yeah. Um, 
it's a this and uh, and cat people, which I don't think ended up on this list at all. I made my list before I saw those on the big screen, and I, these those two would have been in my top ten. Um, but Cemetery Man, uh, we talked about in the Romero episode, basically insane. What you described it as an anthology horror film that all is about the same character. Well, and I actually came to that realization while we were talking about it. I had never thought of it that way until we had been just the the organics of our conversation. I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of it's a, just a bunch of stories that sort of happened to this one guy. It's it's hysterical. It's inventive. It's really well made. It's really well acted. Um, great movie. Watch Cemetery Man. That's all I can say. In the Mouth of Madness, nineteen ninety four, directed by John Carpenter. Um, I don't remember this too well. I remember being thinking it was all right, but I think this has sort of a cult following. It it, it has some really great scenes. Um, it goes on too long. It it should end before it does. Um, but there are some really great scenes, and uh, he gets a lot of mileage out of uh some, you know, old special effects, some really nice special effects, and it, it's uh. I like it. I think it's his last good movie, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I guess people learn to back up some of his genuinely shitty movies now, but I would say this is his last really good one. Yeah, there are there are, there is a contingent that will defend uh, Escape from L.A. Oh, and also now Ghosts of Mar Mars suddenly getting people defending it. I have no idea why. I think Ghosts of Mars has an interesting structure. Well, I remember Phil actually writing something about how maybe it's not as bad as we thought it is. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, Phil always knows what he's talking about. Sure. And I went and rewatched it. Jr., and I said, former guest. I said, no, no, this would be still terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I can't get behind it. I w- wish I could, but no, I, I don't, I don't think John Carpenter uh, as a filmmaker can exist in post nineties. No, like no. even post eighties, really. I mean, Barely. not the madness is the last thing, but yeah. His just style, it doesn't jibe well. No. Um, next is Candyman, Farewell to Flesh, 1995, directed by Bill Condon. Uh, this is the second Candyman movie. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. <laughs> I was kind of shocked to see it on the list. Uh, have you seen it? It's not even remotely as good as the original, but it does have some interesting sequences of his backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, of who the Candyman is, which, funnily enough, I often in my head get confused with sequences from the Green Mile, telling why why the big guy went to prison. This is kind of some, like some, the way they're someday shot. You can, someday you should edit your own movie yeah. that's all flashback sequences. To yeah, to, to all that like soft focus, like um, overexposed sort of look. Yeah. I mean, it's well made. It's Bill Condon before he was, you know, Bill Condon. But uh-huh. I don't remember a lot. But it. it's actually coming out on Blu-ray pretty soon. Uh, Scream Factory couldn't get the original, but they got this one. So I will. Interesting. I'll be rewatching it soon enough. But sure. Yeah. Uh, Event Horizon, nineteen eighty-seven, directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. I'm surprised it's only got one vote. Regina was actually the one who voted a, for this. A lot of people I, of a certain age really like this movie. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, though. I, I've I've only seen it in sort of a distracted group setting, so I think that it might work better on my own. This one has some nostalgia factor for me because I think this and the first Scream were the first time, I, like I said on the other podcast, I was a very nervous child and teenager, so I wouldn't watch horror movies in the theater. And I think this and the first Scream uh, were the first two horror movies I saw in the theater. 
Um, and I think it's still effective to a point. And I think it's got cool ideas. And it does uh, the Hellraiser in space thing better than Hellraiser 4 did. Um, sure. It's basically just Hellraiser in space. The idea that, that, that the event horizon, that, that something that, that humans make a black hole that go, that, and it accidentally goes straight to hell is a cool idea. Yeah. Um, the next is Very Bad Things from 1998, directed by Peter Berg. I don't... I, in no way do I consider this a whole mo- a horror movie. Andrew James submitted this. I don't think it's a particularly good movie either, but that's besides the point. It's about uh, a group of friends, assholes basically, at a bachelor party, and something goes wrong, and the hooker that they hire dies, and they bury her in the desert in Las Vegas, and then they, as a group, they sort of unravel with guilt, and it's sort of a, a, a simple plan sort of a thing where it's everyone's a, turning on each other. It's like a simple plan meets a... Uh, uh after hours kind of thing where everything just keeps going wrong, but it's yeah. not nearly as good as either of those movies. I I don't know in what way it's a horror though. I mean, it's a horrifying situation. I suppose if you're a good person to be stuck in that situation, I kind of hate it though. It's a movie. None of those movies I thought I was going to like, and then I watched it and I kind of hated it. Yeah. Uh, next uh, Ringu 1998 directed by Hideo Nakata. Um, from Japan, the original movie that The Ring is based off of. I'd, I remember very little about it, though. I remember the the only thing the only thing I remember is thinking that the video in this was way creepier than the video in the American version. The American version is maybe the better movie, I guess, but this mm-hmm. one has this creepiness to it that's almost gross. Even though it's not a gory movie at, at, anyway, it has this sort of like dingy quality to it that, that really does work in its favor. I don't. I never really liked any of Nakata's movies that much, but all of his movies have this this intangible ickiness that that he definitely can achieve very well. Interesting. Yeah. So we're out of the '90s now, and now we're into the aughts. Uh, Little Otech, 2000, directed by Jan uh, Svenkmeyer, Czech Republic, England, and Japan co-production apparently. Um, I never knew about that uh, Japanese. Yeah, I influence. had no idea that Japanese. Huh. It's weird. According to IMDb, at the very least, um, great, uh, great sort of little shop of horrors, uh, horror comedy. Really, very weird. Very weird. Like, like the the comedy is weird. Like you, jokes that you, the little girl who teases the uh, local pedophile. Yeah, and then the weird. But it's hand actually that comes funny. Fly. Like that sounds really offensive, but she does it in a sort of screw you way. Um, no. Yeah, it's it's. I remember it being kind of long, which I think keeps. It is. I keep saying that. I I think maybe there's a there's a limit to how long a horror movie can really work, but really cool uh, stop motion animation. For some reason, the Czech, um, the Czech Republic is the go to place for stop motion animation. Well, Jan 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 probably is the reason for that. Yeah. Well, Let's and the, my, are the aren't the brothers? Where are the brothers Quay from? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not aware of the Brothers Quay. They did shorts and those tool videos, I believe. Oh, okay. I think they're also used to European, but I might be totally wrong. Sure. Uh, next, American Psycho 2000, directed by Mary Harin. I think it's a really, really good um, horror uh, a satire. Again, it's it feels more like a dark comedy than a horror movie. I don't yeah. know if at any point the movie's actually trying to be scary. No. But... It's really good movie. The the scene where he 
this the in the middle of the movie i could i think that the uh the scene with the two hookers and you're not done yet and then it ends in him chasing with that that whole sequence is is pretty disturbing but then it sure. ends with him dropping a chainsaw on her and that's pretty funny so yeah it's a, it, it it undercuts its horror with humor um in a really effective way in a but also just in a smarter way than you normally see. And most horror comedies tend to they just tend they just trend towards juvenile, right? Um, because it's just the gleeful splat stick sort of mentality that sort of Sam Raimi uh, influence. Yeah, and this is I would say a, a horror comedy that's actually really dark and smart and sharp. Yep. Um, next is Devil's Backbone, two thousand one, directed by Guillermo del Toro. I remember very little about it, but uh, I remember it being very good. I recently rewatched it, and it's it definitely stands up. In fact, it was I liked it better this time. I remember thinking it was slow in the middle the last time I saw it, but watching it again, it it keeps up very well. And it's probably the one of it, above like Pan's Labyrinth. I would never really consider a horror movie, but this one mm-hmm. is definitely a horror movie. It's fantasy horror for sure. Yeah, it's and it, yeah, it's probably the because mo- even Kronos, which is a vampire movie, it's not not really a terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's more just a, sort of a character. Kronos is almost like the flip side of Martin. Yeah, in a way, I mean, they make a good or, double feature in that in that sense. Yeah. Um, next is the others uh, from two thousand one, directed by Alejandro Amenabar. Amenabar, yeah. Amenabar, uh, American, Spain, France, and Italy production. Uh, very spooky, very kind of, kind of like the, uh, aughts, uh, interpretation of Val Luton where it's all just suggestions and sounds and, and mood. Yeah. It, it, it it's, a uh, a lot of it. I should uh, say Jacques Tourneur more than Val Luton, but, yeah. uh, yeah. A lot of it's thunder was, was stolen by the fact that it was released after the sixth sense, I think. Yeah, no, it's true. I remember they have that similar being sort twists of a... and similar concepts. PG thirteen horror movies that actually work, um, but it's yeah, it's good. Uh, next is Mulholland Drive, two thousand one, directed by David Lynch. That's a again horror movie, uh, like most David Lynch movies. None of them are traditional horror movies in any way, but they pretty much all of them have frightening moments. Yeah, I, I guess uh, if I would consider any of his movies horror movies, this one would be a little more on the list. I would say uh, uh, Lost Highway is more of a horror movie, but probably not as good of a movie. So, Yeah. Mulholland Drive, very good movie. Uh, Irreversible, 2002, directed by Gaspar No. Graphic movie? Uh, Horrifying uh, movie. Sure. One of the um, few movies that has actually pushed me too far, I think. Like just was too- in terms of violence or in terms of tone or the 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 tone the vi- everything about it I just I was so depressed after I finished it it just doesn't happen very often sure uh, well that's that's Gaspar No for you yeah I haven't actually seen Irreversible uh, it's but that's I I sort of felt a similar way after um, uh, Enter the Void which is his by far his happiest movie like by sure. by a, a country mile <laughs> most accessible film. <clears throat> Next film, Cabin Fever, 2002, directed by Eli Roth. This was a huge deal, it feels like, when it came out. This is the only, uh, but though surprising now, it's the only Eli Roth movie on this list. uh, And I would say it's his weakest. Yeah. um, I mean, I think he's a filmmaker who has gotten better with each movie. Um, 
and, and in the same way that Peter Jackson got better with each movie, um, I think that there is as much improvement there, and which means he is due for his uh, his heavenly creatures pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, he'll get a chance to make it. I I like Cabin Fever because it's it was it was unique at the time. Um, I don't love it. Uh, the the new director's cut that came out doesn't make a lot of differences, but it does make the pacing better. Yeah. Um, which is actually, I guess, an old director's cut, but the new release a couple years ago. Um, so there's House of a Thousand Corpses, 2003, directed by Rob Zombie. This is just a kitchen sink yes. horror movie. This, this is, is like Rob. I think Rob Zombie thought this was going to be his, his only, only movie. To yes, make a movie. that is exactly what it feels like when you're watching it. And and I don't know if you remember how long it was gestating. It was yeah. Well, it years. was because it was at Universal for a while, and then they would not release it. Like they like I think MGM wouldn't even finish it. Like he started mm-hmm. and then he moved to Universal and ended up at Lionsgate. I think in the end. Yeah. So it was, and so it does. It feels kind of piecemeal in a way. I don't think it's. I don't think it's as good as the Devil's Rejects. No, not even. But in a way, it almost feels like the most successful uh, capturing of the Rob Zombie tone. And by Rob Zombie tone, I don't just mean like his films. I think it. I think it's his music, but just like him as an artist, yeah. as a as a visual artist, as a musician as a filmmaker, like House of the Thousand Corpses feels like the most Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess because it feels most like one of the music videos he would have directed. Yeah. And it's not, I think that it had a lot of support behind it in the horror community, just because it took so long to come out. Sure. I mean, same thing happened to trick or treat. Yeah. Um, saw 2004 directed by James Wan. obviously, uh, no support from the horror community now. Uh, but I, I think, think it's turning it, around, though. I think that now yeah. Saw has ended, or for the time being, and there are so many of them. I think that a lot of even people like me who aren't very big fans of the series have recognized that it had resonance with people, and there was a reason why it was it lasted as long as it did. And it, and you know, it's a cool I, I like, idea. It's, it's, I think it's yeah. I think it's dumb as as sin, but I think that that sort of puzzle movie horror movie extremely gory movie rube goldberg murder movie like in my mind like there's a version of saw in which it, like it, the tone is closer to final destination 2 um honestly i i've tried rewatching saw a couple times in the past like 2 years and every time i always turn it off like 20 minutes in cuz the editing just gives me a headache it's really yeah it it's too music it's too late 90s music video yeah, it's. I think. I think it. I think it's a visually just a really ugly, hard to watch movie. But the third one no, no, was the one I was actually kind of impressed with in retrospect when I rewatched them. The third one that was the one that I couldn't watch any. I didn't. I never watched any more of them because that one it was just the most like. I guess in retrospect, <laughs> just it being such an assault in that way. Yeah. But that it's so grating, like the special, the sound effects and the just everything is tortured metal and crazy yeah. screaming and it's spinny cameras and and, and spinny cameras, frames. yeah, and yeah, ugh, I couldn't take it. Well, the, but, uh, the thing about Saw is, that I didn't put together until recently is it's that Doctor Fibes kind of got there first and a lot of that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And I um, don't know if James Wan has ever said that, but he definitely. Has become a totally different filmmaker since then. He now is the guy, the go-to guy for spooky, non-bloody horror movies. Yeah, or and even 
throw I mean as far as a major studio movie can be a throwback to the 70s like uh Conjuring kind yeah. of feels like a throwback to the it 70s It is definitely it's it's a better version of I mean I didn't love the Conjuring but it's a better version of a medieval horror type movies Yeah um and I think it has a lot of effective subtle moments yeah. which is you would never ever suspect could exist from watching this movie Yeah um so good on him uh Machinist 2004 by Brad Anderson character study dark uh, I don't remember it being scary at all. I don't remember much about anything about it, this. It's a, it's, again. I feel bad saying I don't like these movies because people really like them who wrote into this. But I think it's a really dumb movie that yeah. thinks it's really smart. Um, I yeah. tried to watch it a couple times, and it looks great. Anderson has a great look of all in all his movies. Even even uh, the the call or the caller, whichever the one I wa- I can't remember what it was called. Even that one looked great, even if it was dumb, but. The Machinist is one of those movies that's like a puzzle movie that has a really easy to guess dumb puzzle. Yeah, I th- and I'll, I think there's a I think there is something that is just um, uh, viscerally effective about about seeing someone as skinny as Christian Bale made yeah. himself in that movie. And like the fact I think that people are. I think I can hands. understand that being really effective because it's just such a strong individual element of that film. And he were you know the the, the bloody situations are people accidentally sticking their hands into machines, which is a pretty visceral yeah. constant kind of fear with all sorts of people so so next is Shaun of the Dead 2004 directed by Edgar Wright one of my favorite movies of all time I love Edgar Wright not even my favorite Edgar Wright movie but it's so good again more way more comedy than horror it's if you want to talk about American Werewolf in London as being the absolute peak where it's equal amounts horror and comedy uh, I would say that Shaun of the Dead falls more on the comedy side yeah but it's I would I, I, it does, but I would also say that it's one of the closest films to to blending the two. Usually, horror comedies are just gross comedies. Yeah, and I think Shaun of the Dead, even if it's not the most effective horror, it, I think there are points when it tries to be straight horror. Well, I mean, the thing that, about all of Edgar Wright's movies is, I mean, other than maybe Hot Fuzz, just because Hot Fuzz is so wacky, but like they're really strong characters. Um, and they are telling good stories about those characters, and then that's the basis for it. So it, when it suddenly becomes that moment where they're deciding whether or not to kill Sean's mom, like, like that actually can have resonance, even though everything up to that point has been not that dark. Right. Um, there's Infection 2004 by uh, Masayuki uh, Okiai, uh, Japanese horror film I've never seen. No, I've never seen that one either. Uh, there is a whole... I when I first started writing about movies, um, I was sent every Japanese horror movie that that was sent to the to DVD Active, and I got so burned out because a lot of them are basically the exact same movie that I I missed a lot, and I I, I should go back and watch them now that I've been separated for a time. But sure, never. That's yeah, it's, it's the same thing. I always want to watch Japanese horror movies because there's something about the really effective ones that does something that other movies just never seem to get yeah um but they often are just so long and 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 when you put that in like two hour commitment to a horror movie and it doesn't pay off it is such a deflating feeling right right um next is devil's rejects 2005 directed by rob zombie probably his best movie um well definitely i would say definitely his best movie but um really the only time he's been successful in making something both disturbing and funny and walking the line between 
like like there's really interesting tonal things going on in Devil's Rejects. Yes. That I think maybe he tries to do in something like the Halloween remake with but then uh, but those that movie and like Halloween 2 always just comes across as irritating. Yeah. And and I think that that the reason Devil's Rejects uh, the reason I haven't revisited it isn't because it's a bad movie. I think that he has a tendency to it's a weird thing to say but he <laughs> he he uses too many curse words in his movies and it sounds awkward. No, no, no. It's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's like any other person who's not good at writing dialogue. Like, I mean, I think George Romero has trouble writing dialogue a lot of the times and I don't, and it's, you know, and I think that Rob Zombie has trouble writing dialogue and I think it's just, yeah, he uses way too many curse words and it just makes everything read awkwardly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, the crazy thing is, as, as awkwardly as it reads, I can, uh, uh, as it sounds, I can only imagine it reads even worse when you're on, like, looking at a screenplay. And you, yeah, the word like, fuck is in three Like, three you have sentences. to pick out the actual content of a sentence yeah. from the words that aren't motherfucking shit. <laughs> like, oh, it's crazy. But, no, I, I would agree with that. Next is a documentary, uh, Jonestown, The Life and Death of People's Temple, 2006, by uh, Stanley Nelson. This is I have you seen this movie? I am pretty sure I've seen this one. I had a brief uh obsession with the whole Jonestown thing and tried to see basically if there is a new documentary on Jonestown, I will probably watch it. Sure. And, and it gets to the point where it um I'm not getting anything else out of it cuz it's the same story over and over again. But I'm pretty sure but I've it's seen such this it's one. it's one of those stories where it's just crazy and scary and sad and interesting from all angles. Yep. Yeah, it's um, it's way more interesting than most true crime stories. The serial killers just aren't as interesting as people seem to think they are. Yeah. When when you have a, a situation where you have a group of people that is allowing this to happen to them, it's much much more uh, interesting and terrifying. The uh, it's and it's a documentary. It's the only documentary on this list. I the only other documentaries I could think I thought might make the list would be Cropsey. Uh, which I haven't seen, but it's fun. Is a lot of people like a lot, and it's apparently very scary. And um, uh, Jesus Camp, which is not a horror movie at all, but is an extremely frightening one. I think that the one documentary that disturbed me the most was uh, was uh, capturing the Freedmans. Oh sure, it, but that's not that's not scary. No, it it's just, just hit me disturbing. really hard. Yeah, there's just quite a few actually that hit me really hard like that. Oh God, that oh. I don't even want to invoke its name, but Dear Zachariah. <laughs> Dear, that's <laughs> that might yeah, be the scariest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> really? Oh my god, Dear Zachariah, I was a wreck for days. Nobody warned me. <laughs> oh, that fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Next movie is basically the same as Dear Zachary. It's Them from <laughs> 2006, directed by uh, Xavier Palud and uh, David Moreau from France. This is essentially The Strangers? I have never seen it. I don't know. I don't really Okay, know Jim, I remember when The Strangers came out. I was a, I was very hot on The Strangers. I think The Strangers is a very good movie. And Jim said, "Oh, it's just basically them from France." Well, you know, um, the French were making really good movies at the time, so Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh we're going to see one in a little bit. Pan's Labyrinth directed by Guillermo del Toro, which was a, a Spanish-Mexican-American production. That's Really good. Again, fairy tale. It's a dark fairy tale. There's scary. There's scary scenes, um, and it's violent. And so there's. It's definitely you understand why it gets on someone's list. 
I got to see it with a a, pers- a group of prestigious grown-ups on its <laughs> premiere. I I actually saw people from the law firm I worked at, so it was interesting watching this this very violent, creepy movie with a room full of fifty and sixty somethings that had been there for the prestige showing of the latest movie that the critics liked. Yeah, I will always I'm, have a fond memory there. My uh, my. My 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 memories associated with this movie are a bit opposite, which is that this movie won all the Academy Awards, um, and so when it came to DVD, uh, I was working at Blockbuster at the time. It was all over the place, but you know the DVD does not have an English dubbed version. No, and it was one of those things where it was the first foreign language movie that we really had to deal with that was so popular and had a broad appeal. That we would just have to say, all right, remember to remind people this is in Spanish because this is the kind of movie dumb people will want to see and then they'll get mad at us for it being subtitled. Yeah. And I told a woman – and I've told this story on on the show many times before. But like I told a woman, oh, yeah, so that's a subtitle movie in Spanish. She goes, what? I said, oh, it's in in Spanish. It's from Spain. so uh, So it's subtitled. And she goes, where's the American version? I go, oh, there is an American version. This is a new movie. And she goes, well, you motherfuckers need to learn that we live in America. And she stormed out. <laughs> so uh, thanks, Guillermo del Toro. That was that was worth it. <laughs> um, Zodiac, David Fincher in 2007. Uh, frightening moments. I remember – okay, so I wanted to – we were talking a little earlier about Alone in the Dark, <laughs> the Uwe Boll movie. Uh-huh. And, I, and I wanted to ask you if there had ever been moments where you laughed during a movie – because it was bad or for whatever reason and but people around you didn't think it was funny and they sort of looked at you strange um, like in a in a, in a theater it, yeah i left it a joke that nobody got for hot fuzz when he does the chinatown joke mm-hmm. uh it's you know uh, the ch- no it was a dramatic moment so because nobody else in the theater got the joke i laughed inside and yeah it echoed it was pretty embarrassing so um, Zodiac to me plays like a dark comedy. Um, I think, but I saw this in theaters and a lot of people didn't realize that Zodiac killer was never caught. Like, I don't think people realize the real true facts of the story. Right. So basically to me, it's a dark comedy because it's about this Robert, uh, Graysmith thing is the main character played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He gets ups- He was obsessed with this killer, but it, the trail gets colder and colder, but the movie still plays it as if he, at any moment, the serial killer will come for him. Yeah. Which I, so assert- I think that's something that Fincher didn't like about it. I remember him complaining about being forced to kind of add a couple creepy scenes or something. I, so I I thought it was intentional. Like I thought the point of it was that he was that it was sort of emphasizing how out of his mind that guy is. That like there's the scene in the basement, and this is the famous scene. Like it's the scariest mo- moment in the movie. Yeah, that's the scene he, that that Fincher has distinctly said he wishes wasn't in the movie. Well, I was laughing so hard because it was being played as if like, oh, for sure, this guy's the killer, and he knows, and it, and but I knew for a fact that like, of course, that's not going to happen, and yeah. it was, and it's a ridiculous premise. And I thought, oh man, he's playing this for laughs, and I I thought it was really funny, and everyone was giving me the shittiest looks. I, so I, I guess that's that's my way of saying that I don't find Zodiac to be a, sca- a scary movie, no. but I think it utilizes horror tropes uh, for dark comedy. Yeah, I, like yeah, the one scary scene is the one that the director apparently hates. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's that's a great funny. movie, though. I love just it. talking I, I about it right Zodiac now makes me want to watch it. 
I mean, that's it's sure. that kind of movie. Uh, next, Inside, 2007, directed by Alexandra Bustillo and Julian Maury from France. Uh, again, part of that French new wave that followed uh, Hot uh, Tension. Yep. This um, is one of the better ones. They're all, I liked most of them, but this is probably the most over-the-top one. It's it's over the top. I found it a little grating, but the buildup before things get super crazy and violent uh, is really good. I'm just a fan of the way every. I just like movies where things keep going wrong. That mm-hmm. it it's funny to me, and I'm pretty sure it's intentionally amusing in this case. No, no, for sure. There's definitely a sense of humor to this, um, despite it being so graphically violent and involving a pregnant woman. So right, the, so it, it makes you squirm all the more. But I think there's definitely. Especially at, at in the last sort of scene in the kitchen, there's a sense of humor to everything. Yeah. Um, Time Crimes 2007, directed by Nacho uh, Vigilando. I don't know about this movie at all. It's really good. Um, again, I, I guess it's I guess I didn't think of it as a horror movie, but yeah, it's kind of a horror movie, and it's it's a really tight uh, little uh, um, kind of it's. Eh. It's not quite an EC comic type thing, but it's the kind of thing you would read in maybe a Ray Bradbury short story. Uh, okay cool where you know time is messing with things and uh yeah it's highly recommended it's not it's not like primer or something it's not super thoughtful in that way but it it it's it's a clever way of dealing with time travel in a uh kind of in a kind of serial killer mode or thriller mode but um it was not anything like what i expected based on how it had been described to me it, um but it's i highly recommend it it's very good so, uh, 2007, The Mist, Frank Darabont, great uh, sort of – it's it's a combination monster movie and Night of the Living Dead sort of take yeah. about the breakdown of these people who are all in this tense situation. Yeah, and, and it's it's another movie that surprised me because I had never liked a Frank Darabont movie before. Um, really? Yeah. I, did, I, I, I just – I found his movies so maudlin – that I, yeah. I didn't realize he had it in him. And it's not just the the ending that everybody talks about. The whole movie is really bleak in a in a good way. You know, the thing about Frank Darabont is I always have fond feelings for him, but I realize most of those are screenplays he's written. Yeah, yeah, he's done some great screenplays. Horror stuff, too. Horror and sci-fi stuff. But, yeah, not the movies he directs. Right, yeah. So when you're like, I've never been a Frank Darabont fan, I was like, what? And then I thought about it and about the films he actually directed. I was like, yeah, I oh, sh- I guess you're right. Like, I am a huge Frank Darabont fan. He wrote Dream Warriors. Yeah, but, you're like- right. I should specify that. Not a very big fan of the films he's directed. Um, so the next film, Strangers, Brian Bertino. Just a really, really tight, well-put-together home invasion movie. Um, I still haven't seen it. You still haven't seen no, it? Oh, it's man. one of those movies that I always mean to watch, and sometimes it shows up on like HBO Go and stuff, and I say, oh, I should watch that, and then something comes up. It's uh, – I really love this movie. It's, it, But there is nothing about it like thematically at all. It's, it, it doesn't – I don't think it fails to be – I think it fails to be like even more broadly primally scary the way that like Halloween is. Mm-hmm. But as far as just you know the way he uses the frame and the way it's edited and the way the tension mounts – it it's really well made. Um, the only thing that sucks about it is it has this kind of bullshit carry ending. Uh, but I always just pretend that doesn't exist. I'm okay with um, carry endings. They they don't bother me too much. I, I it it I don't mind carry endings in top of movies that are already a little silly or yeah, something. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. 
but tonally it's a disappointment because the because the thing about the strangers is the ending is kind of it's almost anticlimactic but that's kind of the point like it's kind of disturbing um in in how it's like you know in uh funny games where they just sort of push the yes push push naomi watts off the the boat oh, and it's just well, like actually what? i haven't seen the remake of time uh, funny okay games. but i'm sure the, i yeah. think the remake's like shot for shot but it's almost so and it's just sort of like oh i guess i guess that's it yeah um it strangers kind of ends similar way and then bah! carry ending um martyrs 2008 directed by pascal uh Loagier. uh you're on your own on that one Laugier, a uh, french canadian uh co-production I've never seen this, but notoriously uh, gruesome, it's, violent movie. It's it's not even that it's that violent. It's that it's gruesome and gory and just disturbing. And I was really surprised to know how many people hate it. I really assumed after I saw it that it must be like way high on the list of uh, the best of this uh, French French New Wave. But I guess people really hated it, and I'm not really sure why. I think it's a Is really it they they're put off by it. I maybe and they and and it's it's has bigger ideas than the other movies. It has a concept to it, um, that the other movies are really just like like high tension is just, uh, I mean other than the dumb twist, high tension is really just a survival horror movie, and yeah, so is Inside and uh, all of them. But this one has a has a sort of it's 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 not as clever as it thinks it is but it's still pretty smart and and i yeah i'm genuinely surprised that people don't like it more and it and it's really really creepy or just just chilling it's it's really upsetting movie to watch and i i do recommend it and i wish more people liked it all right i'll i'll, I'll have to watch it i in my mind i had always associated it with something like a serbian film no it's not that kind of it's not that kind of it it's it's pain and gore, it, it's but it has a certain beauty to it too. Okay, yeah, I, I I didn't. Yeah, I guess I had always just heard of it as a notorious film in the same way, and a Serbian film came out around the same time. Yeah, I think it just got that label because it was just mainstream enough that that people that weren't ready for it saw it. Oh, I see. I say so. I have to check out Martyrs Pontypool, two thousand eight, by Bruce McDonald, Canadian horror film. Great, really good. Uh, it's I, uh, it's, ba- it's, it's adapted from a radio play and it kind of smartly keeps it at that level. And there's a lot of really tense, really scary moments where literally you're just listening into a phone call, um, that a radio host is having with someone who, and they're describing sort of this zombie outbreak. Um, and they're, and it's tremendously scary without, ever without the character you're actually watching ever being in danger um well it, really well done and also just the ideas behind it are really interesting it's the most it might be the most flat out creative horror movie in decades just 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 so different from everything else yeah and it's funny and it's well really really well acted yeah pawnee pool's great if you haven't seen pawnee pool i just even if you don't like horror movies yeah if I, you don't like horror movies how the hell do you get to this point in the podcast yeah. but <laughs> i think that it's yeah it has crossover appeal for sure yeah antichrist 2009 directed by lars von trier uh it's a lars von trier movie it's again i wouldn't call it a horror movie but it is does take place in a cabin in the woods and it does have egregious violence um it might, you know, I'm not a very big von von Trier is another one of those directors I like more as an idea than yeah. actually like his movies. 
But I sort of enjoyed Antichrist in a weird way. It might be my favorite of the movies of his I've seen. Well, it, it feels playful in a way. Yeah, and, and despite being so bleak and and violent, it like it feels more playful. And I have to admit, I've never seen his horror TV series. Uh, Kingdom? Kingdom. I've never seen Kingdom or Epidemic. Epidemic is another horror thing he did, straight horror, and I've never seen either of them. And I, since I liked Antichrist more than all the other movies of his I've seen, maybe I should give those a shot. Hold on. I want to look this up. There's one. I don't I don't think it's epi- Epidemic. He directed one movie. Um, I didn't end up actually being on the Lars von Trier episode, so uh, I can't remember if they talked about it at all. But I just uh, I'm just not into his the the whole his his whole thing. It just doesn't appeal to me. And I really okay. So so the it. element of crime is a movie. Oh, okay. It's very very different from a lot of his movies. And it's an earlier one. It's yeah, eighty four. Okay, awesome. it's pre breaking the waves. It looks different. It kind of has almost a Gilliam tone to it. Um, in just it's dystopian Europe, and it's kind of amber colored. And I think I think you might enjoy that one. Okay. I will look into it as well. Because I like um, I like to like his movies. I want to like his sure. movies. Sure. I feel the same way. Uh, Wreck 2, 2009, directed by uh, James Balaguerro and uh, Paco Plaza. Spanish film follows immediately after the first Wreck. I haven't seen this one, I just, but I love the first Wreck. I just wreck. happened to have watched it the other day. I, I finally saw it for the first time. Uh, the first two-thirds... Um, are a decent kind of it feels like a video game almost the guy's going in to see what happened and then about two-thirds into it the uh, woman from the first movie shows up and then it becomes a much more interesting movie it starts they start adding uh weird things like you can't see uh certain objects are hidden from them if the lights are on so they have to turn off the lights and use the camera's night vision to find doors and stuff like that cool so yeah Zombieland, 2009, directed by Ruben Fleischer. To comedy, it's almost. I think this is this is this was sort of the beginning of the zombie craze where zombies no longer meant horror; they meant action. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. I don't really remember much about it though. Yeah, I remember it being enjoyable and pretty funny, but also just like it. It's hard for me to brand it as a horror comedy because it because there's it's zombies aren't really scary in mm-hmm. those movies. Yeah. They're just sort of monsters that have to be shot. Yeah. Uh, Triangle, 2009, directed by Christopher Smith, is the next film. Um, do you know this film? Yeah, it's a, it's another one of those movies with a good idea that just doesn't pull it off. It's the idea that if you go into the Bermuda Triangle and you get stuck in a time loop, basically. Um, and unfortunately, the trailers gave away. I had seen the trailers first, gave away the kind of coolest image. Um. And it, it, so it's an interesting idea that somebody is trying to get out of a situation um, that they are trapped in, a horror situation um, that they are trapped in, and they keep failing and having to start over again. And then there are multiple versions of themselves wandering around. Um, interesting. And so, yeah, it's a cool idea that just isn't quite pulled off. Um. So that's that's the end of the aughts. We're into this decade now with Let Me In, 2010, by Matt Reeves, the remake of Let the Right One In. I thought it was all right. Didn't really. It wasn't one of those movies I thought needed to exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I didn't see it, so it's so but... close to the original. It's a very well done remake. That's just sure. Martha Marcy May Marlene, 2011, directed by Sean Durkin. Now, this is, I think, the worthy successor to um, uh, Repulsion. Okay, yeah, I can buy that because, especially once you've seen the entire movie and know where it's going, yeah, um, yeah, a little more. Uh, it's like, yeah, Repulsion filtered through some other, some other kind of uh, Manson family tropes. Mm-hmm. I this is one of my favorite. I actually didn't include this on my list because it it feels more like a character drama to me than mm-hmm. horror. But it is definitely tense and scary, um, and really effective. Also weird looking. They like did something yeah. to the film to make it look raw. Yeah, and the yeah Sean Durkin is sort of a director to look out for. I don't know if he's made another film yet or if it if like I don't know. But I got to look out for that guy because it's really good. This was a debut, probably one of the best debut films I've ever seen. Uh, Resolution 2012, directed by uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. I don't... Uh, this is a film that Jim talked about on a recent episode. Oh, He's okay. a huge fan of. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it at all. So it's basically it. It's basically uh, the uh, these two friends go out into a cabin in the woods because the one friend is trying to help the other uh, kick a drug habit. Oh, um, yeah. so they go out there to detox and then when they're out there, they keep discovering weird things. Um, and then Jim didn't want to give away too much, uh, but basically it sort of does a cabin in the woods thing where they're playing with all different kinds of tropes. Okay. Yeah. Now this is something more familiar. I must've heard Jim talk about it then. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, it's on Netflix instant. I still haven't got a chance oh, to watch okay, it, but cool, cool. sounds really good. The hunt 2012 directed by Thomas Vintenberg. Uh, Dutch film about a teacher falsely accused of molesting a student. Um, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, the person who submitted it said that they were a teacher. So <laughs> it's understandable that this would be a very scary film for that person. No, I actually, when I was uh, in college, I worked at a daycare while I was going through college. And part of the reason I quit working at a daycare is because I was in constant fear of this exact thing. It's really? it's a really as a as a male in that situation, there are like if a kid, little kid comes and sits on your lap, you're a little afraid that like mm, you probably shouldn't be here. I don't want yeah <laughs> it yeah it's it it's it's I can understand a teacher having that fear. It's I haven't been I haven't watched it, and I think the reason I haven't watched it is because of that. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Interesting. So the next film I've never heard of, Vanishing Waves. Uh, 2012, directed by Christina Bouyazite, Lithuania, French, Belgian uh, film. Yeah, I don't know this one either. I had heard of it, but didn't have ever seen it. It's uh, I, the, the 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 plot involves putting one's consciousness or sharing consciousness with someone in a coma or something. It sounds interesting. I'll mm-hmm. have to check it out. Um, but I haven't heard any. I but I don't know anything about it. Um, Stoker, 2012, directed by Park Chan Wook. Uh, Park Chan-wook's first American film. Uh, would you call this a horror movie? No, not really. I really like it, but no. It's one of those movies, it's another movie that's not as clever as it thinks it is, and I think that uh, Park's uh, direction makes it what it is. And the acting is really good, too. I have a feeling I that kinda... the same screenplay would not have worked in, in lesser hands. I kind of feel the same way about Old Boy, though. Like, yeah, that's possible. I mean, a lot, and well, definitely sympathy for Mister Vengeance. That one, yeah, 
that one doesn't have almost all his vengeance movies aren't particularly they could have not worked in lesser hands for sure yeah but i mean i think they all i think they do oh they're all great sure, but... i like all of them so then the, the last film in this tier is The Canal, 2014, this year, from Ivan Kavanaugh. It's an Irish horror film. Have you seen this? I saw a trailer for it, but I have not seen it now. So I guess the premise kind of is like sinister, where someone finds turn-of-the-century film reel that depicts a, a, a group murder that happened in the place he's staying. And that's all I know about it. Uh, but sounds cool. Uh, so I'll have to check that one out. Uh, we're already kind of breaking the time limit rule, so we're just kind of going to go through tier the next tier. These are films each that got two votes, kind of the same way we have been. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so uh, we're going to, again, chronological order here. So we're going back to 1932, Freaks, uh, directed by Todd Browning. Um, just one of those movies that just the things it captures on film makes it kind of valuable in its own. Mm-hmm. Uh but it also really works. And a very, very scary climax. Yeah. It's, uh, I think Todd Browning really worked well in that. I, I don't know what it is, but both The Unknown and Freaks are my two favorite Todd Browning movies. Mm-hmm. Didn't he make another movie that takes place during the circus? Or uh, like The Unholy Three or something like that? Maybe. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I don't know that. But yeah, that climax is really good and ooh, is. <laughs> It, I mean, it's certainly it's like hugely exploitative and gross, but um, you know, at least it's the the monsters are the the heroes, you know. Yeah, and the and you know the 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 freak actors were definitely in on it, so he was exploiting them. But you know, they they had they weren't like unknowingly being exploited. I suppose it makes it a little right. little bit better, a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I feel that it's still exploitation because it's like, well, yeah. what else are they going to do? Yeah. It's not like they're freak actors who could have just been a, in a melodrama. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, those are, that's going to be the movie they're in. And if they're actors, that's what they're going to do. But, and, but then again, a lot of them weren't actors. So right. that's just what they were doing anyway. Um, then we jump ahead to 1963. Um, the Haunting, uh, directed by Robert Wise, an English American production. I don't, I, I I need to see this. Yeah, it's it. it's a movie that I forget how good it is until I watch it. Like, um, it's definitely not the first haunted house movie, but it feels like a lot of what became a haunted house cliches ended up actually starting here. Even though it was already 1963, it kind of changed the the way that these movies are on on both plot and uh, uh, visual levels. Yeah, I uh, I've been reading the Stephen King book, uh, Dance Macabre, and um, the 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 largest chapter of the book is just covering like twelve uh, horror novels from the nineteen fifty to nineteen seventy nine, and the the haunting the the haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. is the uh, is the book that this is this movie is based on is covered extensively and it sounds really good mm-hmm. and he has nice things to say about this adaptation too so okay so you need to tell me about death dream i'm surprised it got two directed votes. by bob clark death dream got two votes huh yeah yeah it's the biggest bob clark movie more than huh. black christmas i'm a little surprised it's an interesting movie um it's about a uh 
Vietnam vet who is it's kind of the monkey's paw uh, thing mm-hmm. where uh, his family wishes him back to life and he comes back home as if not, if it's as if he wasn't killed in Vietnam and isn't the same. I guess it's a little like Pet Cemetery in that way too. Um, yeah, so it's it's sort of a Vietnam PTSD kind of a yeah, and it's an interesting metaphor and it's not I don't. I've seen it more than once, and I can barely remember any specific sequences from it. Um, but I guess it it must have really hit some people really hard. Sure. It's, it's definitely a good movie. But does it? Look, so I so the I've seen the the Bob Clark horror movies. I've seen um, they tend to look really kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. It looks cheap. Does this have? Yeah, the same the same thing as like children shouldn't play with dead yeah. things and yeah. Black yeah. Christmas, where just. Yeah. It makes it harder for me to watch. I should I should just watch it, watch these movies. But I didn't finish Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and Black Christmas. I haven't rewatched in a while. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think that yeah, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things was the cheapest, though. I think that one was made on a penny. Sure. <laughs> Um, so next one is Don't Look Now, 1973, directed by Nicholas Rogue. We talked about this extensively in the Nicholas Rogue episode recently. I'm a very big fan of this uh, movie, and I I read that there's actually a lot of things going on in it that you don't catch the first time around, mm-hmm. like just uh, like things connected to the opening sequence that are sort of reflected later in it. I was reading this thing Edgar Wright wrote about it. Yeah, it's a movie I w- I should I wish I would have rewatched. I think I've only seen it the one time, um, and it it had sort of a renaissance because some magazine voted it scariest movie ever made over stuff like The Exorcist because you know you're used to those lists being topped by the same three movies. Yeah, um, and I think that well, a lot I mean of that's the premise of this episode. And Don't Look Now was not on yeah. the banned films list because yeah. Yeah, I think it was a British magazine. It's a British film, so I guess sure. that's part of it. But I, I wouldn't say it's scariest, but it's certainly a really well-made horror movie. Yeah, uh, sort of a labyrinthian uh, thing where you know them uh, the characters getting lost in as in, during their stay in Venice is a big part of it, and Venice just kind of looks like a giant tomb in it the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really cool movie. Uh, Martin, nineteen seventy six, directed by George A. Romero. We talked about that a lot on the George Romero episode. Yes, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. It's my favorite George Romero movie. It's my favorite vampire movie, probably. Yeah, I'm. I I might be willing to go there. Um, I really, really love uh, Murnau's Nosferatu, but I think Martin might be. I might like Martin more. Um, at any rate, it's sort of a character study first and foremost. If you go into Martin expecting a lot of shocks and, and horror and tension, uh, you might be disappointed. But um, if you're looking for a movie that really smartly subverts uh, vampire tropes, this is the this is a one to go to. Yep. Uh, Suspiria, 1977, directed by Dario Argento. I'm surprised it's this low on the list. Yeah, I, I was. It's one I was I was really thinking like, oh, I should that should have been on the banned films list. Everyone's going to vote for Suspiria. Yep. I I know I did, and so I guess one other person did. Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised. It's a great movie. Dario Argento's best movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
you want to say something uh, more interesting, like you want to be cool and say, oh, no, Deep Red's his best movie or Phenomenon or something. But no, Suspiria's his best movie. I think I might like opera more just because opera, I, I think I like the set pieces more and it's, I think, but I don't think it's as good. No, Suspiria's like, it, it's one of those magical movies like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where it's just perfect place and perfect time and it's never going to be actually recreated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen Suspiria, see that. Phantasm, 1979, directed by Don Cascarelli. Really cool tone to this yeah, movie. Yeah, and weird, just so much weird stuff going on. A very imaginative movie. It's actually a would-be, if it wasn't for the violence, and I guess some nudity, it's, it's a really good kids horror movie. I mean, it follows a kid protagonist and is imaginative in that way and that he's discovering things and it's all about, you know, not having parents and yeah. I mean, I, I, I would still say it's a good kids movie, but yeah. maybe I'm more liberal with what kids can see. Yeah. I, I don't think the violence is so gruesome and I think it's the tone of the, the violence is appropriate. It is more, um, I mean, the, the second one is more over the top in it's violence, I guess. Um, uh, Phantasm is one of the few films I've seen that captures the feeling I get reading uh, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Okay. Uh, have you ever read that book? Uh, when I was a kid, I was into all those books, but I don't remember it very well. I don't remember yeah, the feeling Yeah, so, I mean, but it's, it. it's sort of like extreme Americana, you know, in like this world in which boys have no responsibilities. Yeah. And it's just like every day they wake up and go running and play, like... Yeah, and it's at, 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 at no point in Phantasm is he in school, you know. No, and it, yeah, it's got that. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Then that yeah, that feeds into the fact that it's sort of a kids movie. <clears throat> um, I guess I guess Crescarelli's previous movie had been actually a kids movie, and I never saw that one. So he seems to have uh, channeled some of the thoughts uh, kind of the same way that you were saying that uh season of the witch kind of was a non-horror movie that had a lot of stuff channel into Martin. Yeah. 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 Phantasms are a really cool movie. Um, the next one is possession 1981 uh, directed by oh boy. Here comes the name Andres uh, Zulowski. Sure. <laughs> it's a French uh, West German film. I saw it for the first time on the big screen last year. It's fucking crazy and weird it's so good it got a blu-ray release recently and i've noticed a lot of people sort of rediscovering it yeah and it was one where uh it was hard to see the full version in the united states for a very long time Mm -hmm. i think that the dvd extended version didn't come out until 2002 or something it's it's got an amazing sort of circular kind of structure it's about this husband he comes home from a big job and it's certain kind of ominous what who he works for or what he does um but like and and he finds his sort of home life has just been destroyed and he's trying to connect to his wife and she's having an affair with another man and she leaves and then she comes back and they fight and they they beat each other and then she leaves and she comes back and he's searching for her and then he finds her and he loses her and it's and it's the just every scene is there's something unusual and interesting and the way it's directed is really striking. Like, there's a scene where he's sort of, I guess, debriefing this company as he exits his job. And the camera is just circling around this giant room that he's in as he's talking to this board of directors. 
and it just like there it's just there's little moments like that where just the camera is doing kind of unusual things and it's really intense and it's well all the actors are acting on 11 like for the yeah. most of the movie Every, but not it doesn't feel silly though it feels like it fits yeah it's part of their structure yeah like this is a like at no point in this movie am i just like laughing like it's you're right it's a very kind of just fevered frenzied kind of acting that goes on but it just everything feels like it's it fits um god there's so many intense really great scenes and it's fascinating i mean the the title is possession and i would say it's part in that there's this idea that something evil uh is in his wife or whatever but then there's also to me like the title means like he is very possessive of her and it's it sort of goes back and forth between that those sort of like almost John Cassavetes themes of the of the man trying to control the woman and just violently so and her trying to break free and her psychic breakdown as she tries to break free of that and it goes into crazy Cronenbergian kind of body horror too. Yeah, it's it takes some getting used to. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I saw it when I was too young. I remember seeing it as a teenager and not knowing what to make of it and. And the longer version made a difference too. The it, imagine, I think it's something insane. Like forty minutes were cut out. Yeah, it's like an eighty-minute movie, and it's American release, so it makes even less sense. It's um, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it's definitely a movie that benefits once you've been in a couple serious relationships. Yeah, that too. And you feel the weight. I mean, I you know, I'm not, I'm not married. I've never been married. I don't have any kids. But like, you still can like, you get a better idea of the weight. Of that sort of thing, whereas I think that sort of stuff when you're a teenager, at least for me, like that kind of bored me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Beyond 1981 is next from Lucio Fulci. I voted for this one. It's, uh, it's a great movie. Absolute favorite Fulci movie. A lot of I'm not a I'm sort of on record as being not a huge fan of Italian horror, just because I find so much of it. Like I think the high points in Italian horror are just incredible, but I find a lot of it often very hard to connect to and it often kind of feels like wading through trying to find the bits of gold um, in a movie and of course part of the problem with italian horror is especially of this era is just like it was most of the sound was post sync mm-hmm. um and then it makes all the performances kind of bad yeah because <laughs> the voices and the acting doesn't really match and it just there's this disconnect and it's hard to care about any characters but the Beyond very smartly goes, okay, well, what if what if this is just a fucking crazy nightmare and everything that feels disjointed adds to it and everything that – every bad performance adds to it and every part where you don't know what the fuck's going on adds to it. And I mean I, I don't I – don't, it's not the sole idea of this movie. There's a lot of Italian horror movies that are kind of nightmares, but I think this is the most successful. Well, and, and Fulci's on record as saying that he wanted to make what he called pure cinema – uh, which had no plot. He wanted to get away from plot and characters and just have tone and mm-hmm. imagery. And he considered this the movie where he succeeded in doing that. Um, yeah, I, I would, I'd give that to him. I mean, and I think that this. I mean, it's is, not, it's not Stan Brackage. It's not literally no characters, no plot. Right. But, but you know, he gets pretty close. And and I, it was that and City of Living Dead are like a high point, and it starts to trickle down pretty fast from there. But I think that. Uh, House House by the Cemetery is, still has some really cool stuff going on. Um, 
Yeah, I just bought that DVD. I'm excited to rewatch it because that's the one to me. It has the most con- coherent story. Yeah, and it has, it has the most interesting, like flat out idea of the movies from that period. It actually has a a there's an idea at the base of who the murderer is. Um, yeah, but yeah, most of those movies were pretty incoherent. <clears throat> uh, Creep Show, which we already Wait, talked we already about. do Creep Show. Yeah, we already did Creep Show. I guess Creep Show. I guess I screwed up. Creepshow apparently Creep got show, two votes. Creepshow, yeah, it either got three votes or it got a second, a late second vote, and I ended up putting it in both columns. Anyway, we talked about Creepshow. Poltergeist, 1982, directed by Toby Hooper. This is a personal favorite of mine. I think there's a lot about Poltergeist that's really dope, dopey, uh, and and I think a lot of the Spielbergisms are kind of whatever, but I think the thing that makes Poltergeist work really, really well is those first 15 minutes where you're like following this family. I think the sort of the portrait of the American family and sort of the eighties and everything is so strong that as it gets into weirder, dopier, like I don't like the fact that it's a haunted house movie that relies almost entirely on special effects. Yeah. I mean, and, and the special effects part is like those Italian horror movies that were like, let's build a scene around a gory effect we have. It was like yeah. the multi-million dollar version of the Beyond once it gets to that moment. But it doesn't really have the same soul to it. Though the no, part where doesn't. the guy rips his face off is still pretty potent. Oh, yeah. And, and but and, I mean, I think a lot of the scenes are really good. I'm just – I it's not my preferred thing, but yeah. the, it's grounded for me in really, really caring about the characters. I think the, the script is really good. Um, I think the uh, – I mean, at least as far as the dialogue goes, and I think the – the performances the, make the, a difference too. Sure. I think the performances are really good too. Um, and uh, it's maybe directed by Toby Hooper, maybe directed by Steven Spielberg. I kind of see both, both in them. there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think Toby Hooper necessarily has a super distinctive style, but there are moments. I watched Poltergeist again only a couple days ago, and there are moments that feel like Spielberg wouldn't have done that shot. <laughs> so yeah. that must be Toby Hooper. Like. Well, and it, and it is, would be strange for Spielberg to be vehemently, constantly saying he didn't direct it at this point because you know nobody cares. And I feel like if he would have directed the majority of it, he would have come out with it by now. Yeah. So I'm in the camp that that he was kind of giving Hooper some orders, but that Hooper was directing most of it. Yeah, I, and that I Hooper was trying to make it look like a Spielberg movie. I think that that was part of. No, it. that's possible too. I don't think that Hooper had. Uh, distinctive style like you say i think that his first two movies have a distinctive style and then he sort of i don't know disappears into other people's styles sure near dark 1987 it's the next film directed by Catherine bigelow really good vampire western mm-hmm. uh great performance by bill pullman or bill paxton yep and lance hedrickson's really great in it too whole, mm-hmm. whole bunch of people from aliens actually yeah, it's a it's smart. It's a it's a really good smart movie, and it's a better version of the Romeo and Juliet thing than most of these kind of movies are. Yeah, uh, Catherine Bigelow never did. I mean, there's parts of uh, Blue Steel that kind of feel. Yeah, Blue Steel's a little like a slasher movie, I guess. A little, but uh, this is really this is really only Catherine Bigelow's first only straight ahead horror movie. Yeah, and it doesn't look like she's ever going to make another one. So. Yeah, well, yeah. Now, now that she's now that she's she's sort of fallen into the Oscar hole. Yep. Um, which is, I mean, I I think I think she makes good movies, but it's it can be less interesting. Yep. Uh, once someone's career sort of uh, solidifies like that. Yeah. 
now this is a film I'm very surprised got two votes. Hellraiser two. Me too. I don't. I don't. Directed by Tony Randall. I've never seen it. It's when it's good, it's really good, but it Mm -hmm. it really loses steam once they get to like. You could tell they didn't have the budget to do the version of Hell they wanted to do, and they don't really know what they're doing anymore. The the first, I don't know, thirty minutes are pretty great. Um. But it, yeah, it loses a lot of steam, and and it's one you have to see in the uh, unrated version. Uh, I was trying to watch it on Netflix, and I think uh, Evan Sadoff was actually here, and we were trying to watch it on Netflix, and we got to one scene that we noticed almost all the violence was missing, and realized we were watching the R-rated cut. <laughs> and it's not a lot of movies that totally are destroyed in modern, newer movies that are totally destroyed by having them edited, but this is one of them. Well, yeah, back in the 80s, or this was, yeah, 88, like, it was different. Now, MPAA will just let you do anything in a yeah, pretty movie, much. I guess. pretty much. I mean, when you get an unrated version of something these days, it's usually just that they've added stuff into it, and it didn't go through MPAA. Right, it's just deleted scenes. It's just stuff. not rated. It's not that it was too much. It's very rare. I mean, you'll have yeah. some PG-13 movies that kind of push towards R, but usually those movies are trying to be PG-13 in the first place. So, mm-hmm. uh, Exorcist 3, 1990, William Peter Blatty. Uh, possession movie, kind of, with Brad Dourif. Yeah. What is this movie? I've never it's seen a, it. It's a cop movie. It's yeah. a it's, it's character piece cop movie that has uh, one of the best jump scares ever. And is really well made and has a great central performance um, that I think has gotten overrated because for the same reason a lot of sequels get overrated because when they're first released, people kind of overlook them as just a sequel. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're more than just a sequel gets it to the point where people are kind of considering them. I, I think it's a very good movie and the second best of the Exorcist movies by quite a bit, but... I'm a little surprised it gets it, – it's, it's been kind of moved to a tier that I'm not sure it deserves to be on. Sure. Uh, Jacob's Ladder, 1990, directed by Adrian Lin. I haven't seen it in so long, but I remember it really freaking me out. Yeah, it's basically like an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge mm-hmm. with a Vietnam uh, vet. Uh, it's, uh, it's really smart, all the – there's a lot of crazy sort of hallucinatory special effects that are all practical, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I don't remember much about this either, to tell the truth. I do remember it was one of those movies that was released at a time when studios didn't like the name horror. And I remember it mm-hmm. being very vehemently – it was being called a thriller. And it sure. is – unlike Silence of the Lambs, I don't think you can consider it anything but a horror movie. Yeah. I think uh, next is Pulse 2001, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Now, this is on my list. I think it might have been on James uh, Jim's list too, but fucking good. It's Pulse. So Pulse is does this thing that I've only the only other movie we'll talk about later that I've done this where it's sort of. I don't know if this is actually what it's about. I don't think it is. I think this movie is actually about sort of people uh, uh, separating themselves and distancing themselves from other people using technology, but. It to me, it also feels like it captures well what depression feels like. Hmm. Um, where it's basically this movie, this Japanese uh, horror movie, where there's this thing spreading where people withdraw more and more, and s- something related to some website or 
something involving computers, and then eventually just a red X shows up on their door and they vanish. Um, and it's really interesting in that it has sort of typical J-horror ghost scares where there's the really creepy pale ghost and like it's really effective in that way. But also in the third act, it takes on this weirder, larger, like apocalyptic sort of a thing. Yeah, I think that's where, what puts it apart is that third act, really. And where it's spread and it's it's the T. S. Eliot sort of apocalypse where like the world ends not with a bang but a whimper. Like it's just this sort of feeling of the entire world giving up. <laughs> so it's not like mass chaos where there's looting or people, you know, it's it's just sort of like everyone is just accepting that everything's ending and they're all and there's no escape. It's it's crazy and it's super scary and it's really tense and it's and it just it captures i mean as someone with depression like it captures that for me really well and i found it really potent unfortunately for me i only watched it after you had mentioned how much you liked it and the version Mm -hmm. of it on netflix looks so terrible oh yeah i couldn't tell what was going on a lot of the time so i i need to revisit it yeah you gotta get i don't know if it's on blu-ray but uh i think the dvd looks pretty good yeah um next is may 2002 directed by lucky mckee i think this is also on my list it's it's closer to martin than any other horror movie that i know um where it, it's got sort of mountain mounting dread but it's mostly just a character study it's got a great tone to it it's great central performance by angela bettis i, I love may it is to frankenstein what martin is to dracula yeah that's a great way to put it I mean, it's um, probably the most heartfelt horror movie in a very long time. Like, it's even more than The Mist. It's just, it's really mournful at times. Yeah. I and, think that the the emotional stuff in The Mist goes so far that I can't actually connect with it. Mm-hmm. I could not connect with having to murder loved ones. But there's stuff in May, this loneliness in it, that, that I think almost anybody can connect with. Yeah, and... Yeah, you really, really feel bad for it. it's. You said it's like Frankenstein. Uh, it is to Frankenstein what Martin is to Dracula, but it also feels equally kind of Carrie. Oh yeah, it has a lot. It and it and Carrie and Ginger Snaps, I think, are like the three, three very few feminine horror movies that actually have anything to do with femininity. That aren't yeah. just horror movies that happen to have women in them. Mm-hmm. It's a really great movie. Uh, Tale of Two Sisters, 2003, directed by Kim Ji Woon. I I got 45 minutes into it, and I didn't. I wasn't into it, so I turned it off. So I haven't seen this. It's really slow burn, but it's one of the uh, whole run of Asian, Korean, and Japanese horror movies that that I really liked. Um, it's it's a slow burn. The remake was just awful. And the remake, a, what was the remake? It was called The Uninvited, and I was super confused because I had a review copy of this movie called The Uninvited that I had heard was a remake of a Korean movie, and there happens to be a Korean horror movie called The Uninvited. And, and also there's a uh, American horror movie called yes, The Uninvited. Yes, and oh, there's the a 40s. second American horror movie about a scary cat that crawls inside other cats called The Uninvited. But anyway, I assumed it was a remake of this movie I'd never heard of, and as it's going on, I'm like, wow, this has a lot in common with Tale of Two Sisters. And eventually had to open the laptop and look it up because I was being so distracted by how much it had in common and realized that it had lost its title at some point, but it was going to be called The Tale of Two Sisters. Um, but I think it's not Ji Woon's best movie, but it's it's 
it's really interesting in the uh, context of his entire career because he has such a eclectic output and his movies have similarities but they're also absolutely nothing alike and and so maybe i like it better on that level that that so next could... is a uh, wreck 2007 directed by uh oh but here we go the same again. guys <laughs> same guys as the second wreck and it and i haven't seen the second wreck but i saw this one and it's really really good it's a it's one of the few found footage movies in which you actually believe they're keeping the cameras on um, because they have sort of a journalistic imperative to do so. Yeah. Um, which is just, that's just a good conceit. And the ending is one of, I saw this with Jim in my basement, uh, pretty early on. I think we hadn't started the podcast yet or we had just started it, but we were both squirming out of our minds during the ending of this movie. It was so scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's intense, and it's I, – I don't know if I'm just – I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies, so I'm kind of jaded to the scares in general. But for some reason, uh, found footage movies in particular just don't scare me at all. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is about their rhythms, but yeah, the Wreck has some of the better jump scares I've ever seen, actually. <clears throat> and a really good sense of dread. Yeah. Um, There's The Mist Next again. is The Mist. We, already, we talked about that one, too. Oh fuck! Okay, so the mist either got three votes or it didn't. It got two votes. I screwed up some of the stuff. I, I had to go through a lot of emails and a lot of different <laughs> lists, and over a long period of time. So, I guess that just brings us uh, to Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I uh, 2010 directed by Eli Craig. I think a really good smart horror comedy. I still another one that is on, been on my list that I've never seen. It's. It is. I mean, it's on it's Netflix. Close, I should have seen it by now. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of. It's closer to like. Um, it's kind of like Scream in that it is a postmodern horror movie, but it does so. But it does so without referencing other horror movies. It's yeah. just in its premise, it explores tropes um, and subverts them. Right. And yeah, I had if if, had it described to me as that uh, Cabin Fever kind of stole some of its thunder, or Cabin in the Woods. Sorry, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I, I believe that. I think they're I think they're different movies, and I, I don't think it's as good as Cabin in the Woods, but um, I I think it's a really good movie and has some very strong characters in it. Uh, if you do you know the do you know like what happens? Yeah, in it? I know the premise. In fact, it's to the point where I feel like I've almost seen it because people have talked to me about it so much. That might be okay. part of why I, was I haven't say, watched it yet. So I went in thinking it was going to be like a Tremors kind of movie where it's just two rednecks taking on a monster or something. So in my mind, I was thinking like it's Evil Dead where the teenagers who are being killed by this uh, evil force have to be saved by these two rednecks. And so going into it like that and then slowly realizing what the movie actually is, it's really good. So if you don't know the premise of Tucker and Dale versus Evil, just see it Um, because it – it sets up like it's going to be one thing, and it becomes something much smarter and more interesting. Um, and also, uh, Regina, uh, who is on the Wes Anderson and the Richard Linklater episodes, um, on their blog, they wrote uh, – a, recently they wrote a, uh, a blog post about sort of fat, thin uh, comedy duos and horror comedies. And they con- they contrasted Tucker and Dale versus Evil with um, – Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, okay, that's good. I like so that. that if you if you're interested in that, that's worth reading. It was pretty good. Um, so now we're into tier three. 
um, tier three. These are films that got three votes. Uh, Carl of Souls, nineteen sixty two, directed by Herc Harvey, one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Um, the other movie that captures the feeling of depression um, better than any other. Forget uh, horror movies. I Pulse and Carnival of Souls are the only two movies I've seen that actually make capture what it feels like to me to be depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because being depressed is <laughs> it's a not a very dramatic conceit. No, it's um, yeah. So most movies about depressed characters are just boring as shit. Yeah. Um, so the way that you actually feel it, it has to be through this abstraction. A little bit nebulous. Um, right, exactly. So once it, once it sort of taken on, takes on this abstraction, then suddenly I think it tackles it uh, better in, in a more cinematic way. Um, gr- amazing score. The Carnival of Souls would not be as good without its score. Um, I, think, I, like, we, I think Halloween owes a lot to its score, but I think Halloween would still be an amazing movie if it had a different, like, more traditional score. Mm-hmm. I think this movie, the score is everything. It's great, creepy organ. I love Carnival of Souls. Do you like Carnival of Souls? Yeah, it's, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. I think the last time I saw it was on one of those uh, those uh, value-packed, you know, DVDs. Yeah, that's how I first saw it, too. It's The Criterion is good, but, I mean, it's one of those things where... It no one's ever going to have an investment to make it look really great. It's probably never going to come to Blu-ray. It's also or if it does, it's probably problematic just because it's so foggy. That kind of stuff is really hard to clear up. You know, right? It might not look the same. Like it might never look great because it's so foggy. So yeah, that's part of the appeal. But it is. I think it's really well directed. I love Carnival Souls. Um, I only said that fifteen times. Uh, the Wicker Man, nineteen seventy-three, directed by Robin Hardy. I don't remember much about this movie at all i saw it in high school and i wasn't a fan but i need to rewatch it i i voted for this this is one that i like more every time i see it i saw it first in high school and didn't really get it um but kept on being told to rewatch it and the recent director's cut doesn't make it a new movie but it definitely makes it a better movie um a more coherent and complete movie uh it's 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 not really a horror movie until the very end. It's it's more of like a like a really dark comedy at, for a lot of it, and it, it's it's almost impossible to to pigeonhole it as to any genre because it's almost a musical at points. Um, but a I, musical? Yeah, I mean, there's there are long singing sequences. I don't remember that. Yeah, there's a uh, woman sings to. Uh, to the uh, main character to try uh, about sex to try to kind of pull him out of his funk and there's a part where a man's uh, uh, they sing to a woman to a window and then there's an extended song at towards the end that kind of goes through the whole climax where they start with their march and they're singing through their march and then they are singing as the guy is burning and then he starts singing uh, uh, Christian songs against them as he's burning so this to you, this is the greatest horror musical ever. Yeah, probably. Probably say. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. Do you consider uh, *Phantom of the Paradise* a horror movie? Yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't consider *Phantom of the Paradise* a horror movie. It didn't no one voted for it? Yeah, so. I. I don't really consider it a horror movie, but it is a better musical, and maybe sure. a better movie. They're really close. Sure. Who Can Kill a Child, 1976, directed by Narcisco Ibanez Serador. I can't believe this got three votes. That's insane. I, I was surprised, too. It's it, I always thought of it as kind of an obscure cult 
yeah film it's great it's a great movie it's it's nightmarish and weird and and totally delivers on its premise unlike like most evil kid movies are just you know either they don't have the balls to kill the kids or they kill them in a really vulgar way like uh the the children uh that that trauma owns these days but this one is it's 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 tense and it answers its own question and it's kind of you know it's more comparable to the birds and night of the living dead than a lot of things um because it's people versus nature really the children are really nature they're not really kids anymore <clears throat> i gotta see this movie i i just thought it was notorious because of all the kids that get killed i didn't know it was actually like really well made yeah it's really well made and it's disturbing and it's really a drama for the a lot of the movie videodrome 1983 directed by david cronenberg another one i'm surprised got so many votes I know yeah, people like because it because it's not a yeah people love that movie but I don't I don't think people thought of, think of it as a horror movie. I think I voted for Videodrome actually. Yeah, Do I, you think of it as a horror movie. Maybe I didn't though. I I don't know. It's 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 one of those movies that I've always liked, but over the last couple of years, it keeps moving up my uh, favorite David Cronenberg's list. Like it it I think it surpassed. Uh, it might be just below The Fly at this point. It might you know I might end up liking it even more than The Fly. It's just such a interesting it's an interesting movie that that's really smart but is still kind of trashy which is what i love best about cronenberg is video uh no that's what we just talked about i I like videodrome i don't i can't follow it yeah i would watch Uh, it again it i think it i think it feels more challenging than it actually is once you kind of get a grip on what's reality and what isn't, it, it, it kind of, I think it makes more sense on different viewings. <clears throat> so for a while, I thought this was for sure going to be the number one voted movie. Uh, Reanimator, 1985, directed by Stuart Gordon. I definitely um, voted for this one. I, yeah, this is, this was, this, the first three lists I got pretty much had Reanimator on it. Yeah. Um, but that ended up being all three votes it got. Uh, Reanimator is just a great, great horror comedy. It's 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 got a different tone than Evil Dead Two, yep. but it really delivers like Evil Dead Two does. And it it delivers. You know, it's over the years I've grown to like it more than Dead Alive or Evil Dead Two. It's just it's smart, and it's hard to describe what's so good about it um, because it seems silly, but it also is really dramatic and. Uh, I just think it's a really great movie. And it's one of those movies that can have lesser special effects and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, they kind of fill they fill in with the way the tone of the movie is. It's true. It's true. Like the mad science, like that sort of wacky mad scientist tone to it. Mm-hmm. It really, I, I don't know how much of it. Hind- uh, fuck. What's the actor's name who plays Herbert West? Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. It, like I don't know what video what uh, Reanimator would be like without Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be as good. Um, I and and it would also it contrasts that against the kind of soap opera that's going on with uh, the other two characters, and it's just the fact that he's not the lead character. I think makes a difference too. I think that's part of the problem with the sequels is that he's more of a central character. Yeah. Um. But it's a it's a movie I wish everybody loved. It's it's 
one of the few movies that I love that I want everybody else to love. Usually I'm like, whatever. I felt the, I felt the same way when I, I when Regina was going to send in their list and they're like, uh, what? So what movies haven't I seen that I should see? And I was like, well, for sure you should see Reanimator. And they saw it. And they're like, eh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it hurts. There's not a lot of movies that that hurt like when other people don't like them, but that's definitely one of them. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Hellraiser, 1987, directed by Clive Barker. Um, it's not. I again, surprised I got that many votes. It's a good. It's a good movie. It's interesting. It has a lot going on. That yeah, and that's cool. It's got kind of a. It's got kind of a slasher thing. It's got monsters. It's got great special effects. It's super violent. I the thing that sinks it for me every time is the acting is so bad. I do like uh, what's her name though. She is. That's maybe the one reason to see. Hellraiser 2 for you is how good she is as the villain in the second one. Oh yeah. Um the lead, the woman, not the not the girl. Right. No, I think she does a, I think she does a good job in Hellraiser. Yeah, she's great as the villain in Hellraiser 2. Um, all of the stuff though with her husband and the daughter like all yeah. this of The so daughter, bad. the daughter's a bad actress. Um I don't remember her name. <clears throat> um Yeah, I I mm-hmm. always like Hellraiser and Hellraiser and Reanimator being in a row is interesting because they're both first time movies. They're really good debuts. How Reanimator was Stuart Gordon's first movie. Yeah, he had only before that only done stage uh, plays, and he had filmed a couple of the stage plays, but he had never done a proper movie. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good and it's. I mean, there is something about it that captures the Clive Barker feeling you get from reading his stories better than any other. Like, there's just that psychosexual nature to it, and it had um, like a zero. It had a less. It had like a million dollar budget, I think. Like it, it mm-hmm. really. He did a lot, and then he never did it again, as far as I'm concerned. Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions are interesting movies, but they don't capture what he does to me. Yeah. It's just something it's... something is always missing from him that is definitely in Hellraiser. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I think, I think, I think maybe part of the problem, I haven't seen Lord of Illusions, but maybe part of the problem with Nightbreed is that the the thing that Hellraiser, that, the Telltale Heart, not the Telltale, the what's the Hellbound Heart mm-hmm. is it's a simpler story to base a movie off of, and that allows him. I think I think you know it's just one of those things where novels aren't aren't as good uh, as short. They aren't as good material for adaptation, film adaptations than short stories are. Right, because novels are impossibly long when they when you try. I, I yeah, apparently he had this whole thing in mind with Nightbreed that it was going to be a trilogy. So, <laughs> well. Uh, well, we got the director's cut finally. Yeah, so, uh, and it's a better movie, but you know, but no, like, but Hellraiser, it's it's a simple enough story that he can throw all of this other stuff in it, and it doesn't throw the movie out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, really good. Blair Witch Project is next, nineteen ninety nine, directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. My vote went to Blair Witch Project. It's, it's- interesting that the Blair Witch had such heavy backlash. After it got so popular, and now it's kind of coming mm-hmm. back around again, it seems. Yeah, well, it's this. Anytime you tell someone the scariest movie ever made, yeah, like they're gonna go, "Oh, really?" And if you don't fucking deliver, then and to be fair, I don't think Blair Witch is a particularly scary movie. No, I think the ending is really good, but I think Blair Witch is a great horror movie because it is a great movie that is a horror movie. <laughs> Uh, I think the acting is incredible, yeah. and I think it's the only found footage movie in which the fil- the camera work is expressive. Um, if you watch the movie, like 
the way that Heather is holding the camera throughout the film, it as her sanity sort of deteriorates, so does her framing of everything. Yeah. And like a large portions of the later part of the movie are just like at the ground as she's having an argument. And it's 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 the tragedy of that movie isn't that the directors didn't do anything better. It's really that the actors disappeared, I think. It's true. I, it's I, really I'm not sure really good. I'm not sure if the directors had that much in them. I mean, I think they had a great concept in them, and I think that the directors, or I'm sorry, the actors directed themselves for the most part, and then they just disappeared. She's appeared yeah. in like supporting roles a couple times. She wrote a book that every time you go to the used bookstore, there's a copy of it where she, I guess, quit acting and became a marijuana farmer or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the guys in Blair Witch Project is in a Hump Day. Oh, uh, the oh. the Lynn Sheldon movie, which is also improvised, and he's he's really good in that. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I could barely tell you what they looked like. They, to tell you the truth, it's kind of a bummer. Well, I yeah, I mean, I can tell you what they look like in the Blair Witch Project, but outside yeah. of that, it's harder. But it's yeah, I mean, it was just a really good idea for, and it's a big risk. Like, I, I guess not a huge risk because it didn't cost a lot. <laughs> no, but it, uh, you know, even if you don't like it, and I'm not the biggest fan of it, you have to respect the fact that it costs nothing and outsold all these other movies. It was like there was something about the late nineties where that, that couldn't, I mean, I guess it did happen again with, uh, uh paranormal activity. Yeah. The first paranormal activity didn't, but there anything. was a basis in Blair yeah. Witch project for the yeah. first paranormal activity. Like, I'm not saying that Blair Witch project was the first mockumentary horror movie, but it's not like when audiences ran to see Blair Witch project, they were like, all right, finally a successor to yeah. cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is cannibal Holocaust. And, uh, the, uh, boggy creek like they they were popular in their own way but but you know the blair witch really is the ground zero for the entire even if it took it a while to pick up like you didn't start it's seeing true. as many as we see now until halfway through the 2000s yeah but even it's... if you don't like it it's a really important film mm-hmm. I, I i i think it's fantastic also it's the kind of thing where just through the story uh, the, the actress who plays Heather is actually able to express so much more and have such a richer character, I guess just you know because she was just being herself for the most part, than most horror movies. Yeah. Like most horror movies, even with the final girl, it's final girl is with her boyfriend and she's just a girl. And then it's like, and then she's a scared girl and then she finds in herself to be a strong girl and then that's the end of the movie. Like, yeah. there's not, it's, it's, I mean, unless you can really add a lot to it, like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, there's not a lot you can, there's not, it's not a really meaty role to act, but like in this movie, she's all over the place. Um, and she's so good. Like there's like at the beginning, there's the scenes where they're before they go into the woods where they're like filming the segments for their documentary. And she's doing this like great, bad college student film acting. Yes. Uh, and it's and it's like and it's and it's like that's the one performance that the character puts on and it's it's so distinct from everything else and then you know they're having they're goofing off and having a good time and she's really she has a really great easy tone there and then as she's breaking down and she's furious and she's pissed and she's scared and she's like not responding and and then she's in fight like and then she's in survival mode like there's so much there for her to do. I yeah. think it's a really, really great performance, and it's not the kind of performance you just don't see much in in horror movies, uh, despite the fact that all the things she does are the things you see in horror movies. Right, right. 
Um, so the next film is Audition, 1999, directed by Takashi Miike. Uh, it's uh, another movie I expected to be higher up because to me it's of it, 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 it of modern horror films, which is to say films from 2000 or a little bit before 2000, like to now. Like it to me feels like the most established classic. Well, I didn't vote for it, but it is maybe the scariest uh, movie I've seen as an adult. Like, yeah, it's it's a it affected me. There's no other movie uh, since I've been an adult that affected me as as that frightened me as deeply as Audition did. But between that, between that and uh, your your daycare fear, I think I wonder if maybe you just have a fear of being targeted, being the targeted. Honestly, being the, I think like, it's the being st- the. In Audition's case, it's it's her that I'm scared yeah. not of her but for her almost. Like I really I feel yeah, the scenes where they're establishing her backstory are just so upsetting to me. But I think most of it is really how M- Mike made it. It's so it, it catches you. He 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 commits to almost what an hour and ten minutes or more of it being a romantic movie yeah he really commits like and there's just hints here and there and then like it really like there'll be like one really scary scene like the the scene where she's waiting for his phone call and yeah and then the, the bag guy shakes. yeah the bag shakes but after that it goes still goes oops it hit my microphone it still goes back into uh into pretty much a dramatic space and you know it's more of a it kind of makes you forget about that and think about well like what's wrong with this girl and and we're with this guy because he seems like a nice guy that's part of the the sadness of the movie is that he's doing a terrible thing but he's not a terrible person um and then it just becomes this dream logic where you don't know what's happening and i've seen it several times and i still forget what order things happen in because of the way it's edited and it's just the ending is the ending I, I find very confusing but in a more in a in a more palatable way than a lot of confusing instances. in a way that works for the movie because it makes it yeah. really terrifying because you aren't sure what's going on and it really like it was a movie I almost had to turn off I remember almost getting an anxiety attack from it as it was going and that hasn't happened to me since I was a kid so you know it's stuck with me I don't think it's sure. his best movie. I don't think it's a perfectly made movie. I didn't even vote for it, but I think it is a a outstandingly frightening movie. For sure. Next is Cabin in the Woods. Uh, maybe the other... That's the only one that for sure is just going to be a classic. It's the new classic. And like, yeah, in the, past, in the past 10 years, that's the only movie I can point to and say for sure that's just accepted... Uh, horror fan canon film. Um, and it's a movie that that just lived up to everything it was going to be. It was yeah. It, I don't know if anybody. I I think I was really uh, skeptical hearing about it. I just didn't think it could do it. I was like, you know, what can you do after Scream with this kind of material? And then it just kept on delivering the whole movie. It's, it's really a jaw-dropping script. Like, that script is so good. The only thing that I think is disappointing about it is that it doesn't sell the horror. No, not – yeah, it's not particularly frightening. It's got a like, couple if good it, scares, If it but... could have been an effective – I mean, 
you know, as effective as it could have been with everything being undercut by the audience knowing what the premise is. Yeah. Like, I just also think that the the redneck zombies are not particular, like, that, those sequences aren't particularly well shot or well staged. Right. Which I, I also think is maybe part of the point. Maybe it's supposed to look a little... Because the later action scenes are very well set up. The the big mm-hmm. chaotic scenes. That's it. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I... It's an interesting thought. You know, I just now realized that is is uh Drag Me to Hell really not on here? I swear I Drag saw Me it. to Hell is not on here. Oh. Well that's... there's a couple movies that I'm really shocked are not on this. I, I would have have not oh. been voted for. I, I, I feel bad for not voting for it. I just rewatched it last the for a Halloween night and it I I think it might be the best movie of the of all of them, of that whole decade, the best horror movie of that whole decade. It's just, I honestly, I, 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 if only because there are certain elements of evil dead and evil dead two that I don't like, um, I, it might be like my favorite Sam Raimi spook blast kind of movie. Honestly, me too. Like I, I have to say evil dead is two is still my favorite, but I'm wondering how much of that is not just loyalty. You know, yeah. I don't know if it really is my favorite anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one and and the uh, Cabin in the Woods and now I see, yeah, Hostel Two isn't on here, but that doesn't surprise me. But Hostel Two, Cabin in the Woods, well, I guess Cabin in the Woods was this decade, so yeah, last decade, Hostel Two, um, Drag Me to Hell, and The Hills of Eyes remake would be my three favorite horror movies of the last decade, and I, none of them are on here. I should have voted better. <laughs> That's fine. It, it it was not a very scientific process. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway. So now we're into the elite. Uh, these are films that got four votes. Um, starting with 1960s Black Sunday, directed by Mario Bava. I voted for Black Sunday. Me did too. you? I did. Okay. Fucking awesome. Black Sunday. This is. I said this on the Mario Bava episode where we covered this. Um, but Black Sunday is what you hope universal horror movies to be yes um when you are watching them it's 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 spooky and it's but it looks better than those movies it's utterly beautiful it's really interesting it's dreamlike it's it's scary it's got an amazing amazing opening scene probably my favorite opening scene in any horror movie it's it gets my vote for the prettiest horror movie at, at the very least Sure, it's probably my favorite Italian horror movie. It, well, other than, I guess Suspiria is probably my favorite, but it's just behind there. Um, it's great. Oh, God, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's I only because we've talked to yeah. We, a, I haven't seen it recently, and B, we we already had a long conversation about this on the yeah. first Mario Bava episode. Yeah, I got the Blu-ray since then, and it's a good Blu-ray. I recommend it. I should get the Blu-ray. Um, I think it, I think it's on uh, Netflix Instant. It is. A lot of those Bava movies have been on there for a while now. I don't know if they have a deal with Kino or what, but there's some of the less popular ones are on there too. I uh, I just once again implore the audience: if you haven't seen Black Sunday, great, amazing, maybe maybe one of the I was going to say maybe my favorite horror movie ever, but I'm not. I would not go that far. But I really really good. Yeah. Um. Next is the highest-ranking David Cronenberg movie on the list, The Brood, 1979. 
I expect, I mean, people like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite Cronenberg. It's my favorite of those really early movies he made. Yeah, it's it's interesting that I don't has this has this always been the movie that people like a lot, or I don't know. Is it a recent sort of? Because uh, I remember when I first saw this, I got I found a used VHS copy, and it was just sort of I just knew of the infamous ending. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure because I've always liked it, and I wonder how much of it is just me assuming that everybody else always liked it because I did. Right. I don't know, though. I, I, I guess I can't tell. But it's it, – I think as far as David Cronenberg's movies go, other than The Fly, which was off-limits for this list, yeah, um, it is the most just well-put-together horror movie where – that has a really strong thematic – yeah, I think. I mean, I think the themes are stronger than the flies. Um, yeah, the flies you sort of have to bring yourself. The thing is, is that he didn't actually have cancer, but he was going through a divorce, so I think he put himself even more into the brood. Whereas the fly is sort of theoretical. Yeah, in his from his point and, of view. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, and it is. It does have an amazing ending, but also. Really, the most disturbing scene is when the teacher is murdered in front of all her students. Yep. It always, and the kids are just crying. It always shocks me because those kids are crying for real. Like, they weren't faking that. They they scared the crap out of those poor kids. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's definitely real children tears. <laughs> mm, that's some good children tears. Yeah. And it is... Oh, man, it's... But and it has this sense, and even outside of the set pieces, it has this really great sense of dread that often I feel David Cronenberg's movies are too clinical, yeah, for me to really get that out of them. Like, it's uh, I, it's the first yeah. one of his movies to have a really great central performance too. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. The, uh, the... Both Shivers and and uh, Rabbit don't have very good, and Scanners, which came later, Scanners has a pretty crummy lead performance. Yeah. The brood. It's by the by the aptly named Stephen Lack. Yes, <laughs> I just rewatch Scanners. I give it like a chance all the time. I just don't like it very much, and I really want to. Mm-hmm. It's it's I I always just remember the shots in it that I really like. Yeah, it's cool. And, and like just be like, oh yeah, the movie's really well directed. The the pacing and the acting and everything is just there. I think uh, I have the Hulu Plus Criterion thing, and I believe the brood was just added. Really? It's going Blue to... on Criterion? Criterion bought it, and Scanners Scanners came out um, on Blu-ray this last this year and ended up on the streaming just before that. And they have a tendency for some of these movies, if they're allowed to, they put them on streaming before they actually release the Blu-rays. So oh, I don't know exactly when The Brood's coming out, but it will be coming out. Well, of course, because oh, I a... it's because I imported it from the UK, you see. Every time I do that, then... Then the U.S. version gets announced the next day. Uh, yeah, the a little a little light bulb uh, goes off um, in Hollywood in in the headquarters of Hollywood. Yes, uh, next to a sign that says Gabe Powers just spent twelve ninety nine on shipping. Yeah, yeah, I got uh, Barton Fink just recently, so look for that soon on Blu Ray. I'm sure. You're welcome. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the next movie uh, we jump all the way to two thousand two. Very surprised this got. Uh, four votes uh, 28 days later directed by Danny Boyle uh, ca- definitely caused a sensation at the time yeah kind of cool I don't think people were used to running zombies 
It was really scary. I mean, it the scares don't stand up so well after you saw it that first time, but I remember seeing it in the theater, and it really was really frightening. I bought it for $5 recently. <laughs> I'm looking at the DVD right now. I bought it along with Night of the Devils. It, it's, um, it's one that there is absolutely no reason to upgrade to Blu-ray, by the way, because they shot yeah, on they, such they sh- that's crummy cameras. That's what I was most curious about, actually. How does, how does the digital filmmaking look now? Yeah, it, that's that's it's, early digital filmmaking. I think it, it's not even Blu-ray. I don't think it's even. I think that yeah, the D, it's basically DVD quality. Um, I think it's a little bit better. It's like 720p instead of 480p. But yeah, wow. I've never bothered. I remember that being a little jarring in the theater. I, mm-hmm. That that's definitely something that I don't think has stood the test of time as the cinematography. Um, but it's still well made energetic movie yeah i mean it's hard for me to stir up any passion about it i don't remember much about it there are some really really good scenes and uh i remember when it came out a lot of the horror community was was kind of down on it they were considering it a ripoff of day of the dead which i always thought was kind of strange because it has so little in common with day of the dead but i think it was because they were army guys oh yeah well yeah thematically i guess um but it was, wasn't like – I mean, even if you consider it related, it's not like he was purposely ripping it off. It was an homage, if anything. Yeah. I don't know. I'm starting to think that most of Danny Boyle's movies lose their appeal after a little while. I, I think you might be right. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed Slumdog Millionaire. Every time I think yeah. back at it, I'm like, why did I like that? I watched it a second time. and or Maybe it was – I watched it in theaters, enjoyed it. I gave it a good Blu-ray review, and then I tried to watch it again, and I couldn't. And it was weird. I don't think I've watched even um, Train Spotting in a, a decade. Yeah, I want to give another. I want to give this another shot, especially since I haven't seen it since it, I, the only way I ever saw it was I owned the VHS. So yeah, this will be my first time seeing it in proper aspect ratio. Well, there you go. That's something. Yeah, there's always that. That like I I I I haven't seen The Brood on. I owned the VHS and I watched a hundred times, and then I saw it. A, and then I saw a screening of it as part of a movie marathon, but that print was really bad and damaged, and it was actually poorly projected too. Yeah, like they kept you kept seeing boom mics, and I was like, okay, well, someone's screwing up up there. Yeah. Uh, um. So that's another. That sometimes that's a thing where you like, oh, I've seen that movie a ton, but you actually haven't seen the movie. You've right. seen you you've seen like sixty percent of the movie. Yeah. Um. So now we're at the top two films both these films received five votes each the first uh from 1978 has become i feel over the past couple years like a really strong cult has really gathered a cult following i don't exactly know why but invasion of the body snatchers by philip kaufman i voted for this one i'm surprised as many other people did um i i'm a really big fan of it and uh have recently kind of realized that Kaufman is one of the more underrated filmmakers. Between this and the right stuff, those two movies alone, I feel like should have him kind of at the tier of American directors, and I think both of them are kind of forgotten. Um, and I think Invasion of Body Snatchers is one of the only movies from its era that has any sort of sci-fi connection that that feels serious and genuinely scary. Um well, Alien. Yeah, I mean, Alien is, and I think it gets com- compared to Alien, and it's nothing like Alien. And uh, I think that 
I don't know. I think it should be mentioned in the same sentences as Alien, though. I don't. I yeah. mean, I don't like it as much as Alien, but I think it's a, a really great movie. Um, and well, it, my it, shame is I haven't seen it. So it's almost separated from the metaphor of the first movie. Like there are plenty of other metaphors. It's a. Uh, it kind of makes fun of the. Uh, it's a sort of a companion piece to Dawn of the Dead, and that it makes fun of set late seventies culture and the way that they, uh, the me the me generation thing, where they want to. Uh, they're all into new age medicine. Uh, the Jeff Goldblum character, uh, what's her name? Nancy, not Nancy Cartwright. Uh, Veronica Cartwright and Jeff Goldblum's character run a, a mud spa, and uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy's character is like this new age uh, guru that like makes people like do regressive therapy and stuff. And it's kind of the beginning of the movie is kind of making fun of that whole uh, selfish. Hip, like post hippie selfish behavior that people had, but I think that the later parts of the movie where people are getting replaced isn't a particularly. It's not really aimed at any particular political uh, uh, analogy, as far as I'm concerned. Whereas the first one, you know, as you were saying, can be considered either a red scare or a anti uh, uh, blacklist list kind of story. Yeah, I gotta see it. It's on Netflix instant. There's no reason for me not to see it. I I think it's a really great movie, and it's really well acted, and it's funny when it needs to be, and it's just it, it's a lot weirder than people give it credit for too. Like people really just think about the last shot is the big famous thing in it, but yeah, even that, is that the last shot of the movie? Yeah, even that shot has more uh, behind it. You can actually argue what exactly is going on there i've heard i mean I, I guess you've seen the last shot so it's not a huge spoiler but there's some people think that he has been a pod person other people think that that's the more potent thing is that he hasn't been pod person and he's just pretending to be which is actually sadder um i don't i think it's a great movie <clears throat> awesome awesome i gotta check that out i think phil Noble Jr. was talking about how the new Scream Factory Blu-ray of Halloween 3 had made everyone uh, sort of re uh, rediscover it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the Blu-ray of Invasion of the Body Snatchers is actually super cheap and that no yeah. one was rediscovering it was that. One of it, and, uh, it was released the same day as Re- uh, Return of the Living Dead, and they were both decent. They had old extras it wasn't new stuff but they were decent transfers and a bunch of old extras and they were both super cheap it was a really good deal i think they're still both super cheap so i'm probably just gonna buy a blu-ray of this and watch it soon i know jim is a big fan of body snatcher movies in general he on a recent episode um we we he was talking about all the different uh body snatcher movies and like the Abel Ferrara one being about like post like Gulf War syndrome and stuff like that. Yeah, the Ferrara one is one I wish I liked more. This is definitely the best of a, the four. I never saw the the newest one that everybody Invasion. Hated. Yeah, just Invasion. Yeah, I never saw that one. And now this the final one, 2005's The Descent. I'm so I don't know. I mean, so part of the methodology, and this is not a scientific. Thing. Part of the methodology of this is that people – we said – asked for people's top ten lists, but we didn't weight them. Yeah. Uh, like where their number one got more points than their number ten choice. Right. 
but the descent was on five people's lists and which makes it in the the top tier i'm not a big fan of the descent i think everything when they're in the caves and it's claustrophobic is scary as hell and then everything after that i'm not a fan of um i'm kind of in the same boat i didn't like it so much the first time i saw it and i was definitely in the same boat and second time i saw it i started to like it a little bit more um just because it's so over the top and it's very well made and very well acted. It's just not the most interesting movie. Uh, I've, I like it more since I saw it the first time. I'm a little surprised it's this high, but yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm guessing it was a lot of people's like number eight or number 10. Uh, yeah, it's, um, but I wonder if it appeals to people who don't usually like horror movies. That's another possibility. I think that's I think that's yeah, another thing. As I we have a lot of listeners, you know, we're a all purpose, you know, podcast, uh film podcast. So, I think we have a lot of listeners who don't necessarily see a lot of horror movies. I think The Descent is one of those movies that if you you saw, you know. And it it deserves a lot of credit for being almost entire entirely female protagonists. The only males in the movie are the monsters and the guy who gets killed at the beginning. Um, I think that that's special in its in its you know that they're women no. doing. Uh, I guess I mean there's they're women. A part re- of me, like part of me that wants to rewatch this, wants to see if that is if there's some sort of hidden subtext to that fact. There's a little bit of. Uh, negative kind of thing and that a lot of the uh what's going on is uh uh someone has husband has cheated with another person so there's a little bit of that disappointing girls being jealous at each other over men um but for the most part it's just women being women together and none of them are like implicitly gay but there's it's implied that maybe a couple of them are, and two of them are sisters, so they have a sister relationship. I think that they did a as good a job as a man writing women can do. I think it was written by a man. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, was it written by Neil Marshall? I think he wrote it, but he might have had a co-writer on it, so I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, also, I, also just the fact that caves are very vaginal. like Yeah, that too. Yeah, I suppose. Makes me wonder if there was something else going on. Because I, I only saw this the one time, and I saw it when it first came to DVD. I was working at Blockbuster, and I was in high school. So, you know, I am I generally try not to trust my opinion from that era uh, too much, or at least be suspicious of it, because, yeah. you know, you're a teenager. You don't always pick up on stuff. But, yeah, so that is – that's the list. That's a hell of a list of, of movies that we just talked about for a hell of a long time. Yes, here I'll do my uh, my ten. That oh, that's right. And then now you have very quickly. Have t- I have ten, ten more, movies. and I wish one was dragged me to hell. Now I, I regret that now, but um, in no particular. I'm also surprised the Hitcher isn't on this list. I love. Yeah, I think the, the Hitcher. I think the Hitcher is really great. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I guess it wouldn't make my top ten, but it is really good. No, yeah, it, it certainly didn't make mine, but. Um, I guess it's a, it's a famous movie and it's really well made. So yeah, there's a lot of movies on here that I would that I'm surprised got on here and Hitcher didn't. But that's what I like about this list. Actually, is once you sort of take off that top 25 films that everyone always puts, then they're sort of forced to go into more idiosyncratic choices. What were and there were no Friday the Thirteenth movies, were there? 
No Friday Thirteenth movies at all. Not surprising. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit surprised that nobody voted for like four or six. I don't think we have many slasher movie fans yeah, among our audience. If you, there was pretty light on slashers. Yeah, it is. You're right. I, I guess uh, I don't even really consider the Nightmare on Elm Street movie slashers myself. Yeah, I guess they they fall under the banner. But okay, um, so I got in no particular order. 10 movies that if you can find you might enjoy include death spa which death is spa, what's the premise of death the spa? premise of death spa is a uh, uh, guy and his uh partner are trying to put together the uh spa of the it's a workout facility this is back when you called the bally's was called a spa and so it's the most 80s thing ever in that it has these 80s workout facilities and long scenes of people in spandex and fluorescent colored spandex uh, doing workouts and they have machines running everything so people put in their card number and a machine will help you uh, calibrate like it's stuff that really exists now machine will help you calibrate your heart rate and stuff but it's like wacky future sci-fi stuff really dumb bad yeah and and so uh the guy's wife dies and starts haunting the place kind of through her brother who is in charge of the technology and so it's a mix of a haunted house kind of like a like haunted movie. It's like they couldn't decide if the if they were going to make a spa that was uh, mechanically like the robots went crazy, or if they were going to make a haunted house movie. So they kind of split the difference, and it 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 kind of culminates in a big party that everybody's having, and people are just murdered in the strangest ways that have nothing to do with spa equipment. I. <laughs> one one woman is killed by a, or a man is killed by a frozen fish from the freezer. <laughs> um, it just feels like a movie where they had an idea and they never followed through on it, and they had good film quality, so the Blu-ray looks really great. Um, and it's really entertaining. It's it's one of those high concept dumb movies that's actually really entertaining. Um, that's good. And then I got the Ebola Syndrome, which is a Hong Kong horror movie. They came out around the time there were a lot of really uh, violent horror movies out of Hong Kong. And this one follows a character played by Anthony Wong, who was for a long time the go-to scumbag for these movies. He's the villain in uh, Hard Target who shoots patients because he's a dick. He just shoots like injured, innocent people to get them out of his way. And he plays a man who comes down with Ebola while visiting Africa, but is immune to it. And goes on a killing rampage by spitting and cutting himself and bleeding on people. Uh, and it, When and was this made? This was made in the early 90s. I forgot to write down years. Um, That's fine. But it was made in the early 90s, and it's just really mean-spirited. And there's like a... It be, it, it's made by people who aren't really sure what kind of movie they want to make, a comedy or a horror movie. And there's like a long sequence where a leopard is chasing the guy and uh, one of his victims around kind of like uh, 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 Gods Must Be Crazy style. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And it's it's just, it's really entertaining and really gross. And I didn't even remember that Ebola was a new thing when I, uh, <laughs> when I wrote this down. So now it's also uh, uh, yes. suddenly appropriate in that sense. Uh, then I got Project Metal Beast, which I can't believe hasn't had a DVD release. Which is this, I had I had the VHS tape of this yeah. Barry Bostwick. It's never classic. Come out. Yeah, it's and it's like uh, it's it's a it's stupid. Okay, it starts out in World War II, 
and the soldiers capture Nazi werewolves, which seems like a movie in itself. But then they freeze the Nazi werewolves because they want to study them when they have better technology. And so then you cut to the future, and or the present, I guess, at the time, uh, and they are developing metal skin, bulletproof metallic skin. And the guy in charge decides to test the skin, and there's no good reason to do it, test the skin on one of these frozen werewolves. <laughs> what are we going to grab the skin on? I don't know. We got those werewolves lying around. Exactly. Yeah, fucking A. And, metal and, werewolves. And so you have uh, Kane Hodder in a metal werewolf costume murdering people, and they can't mm-hmm. pierce his skin with silver bullets because he has this bulletproof skin. There's a... Uh, the uh, when I first started making electronic music, the very first thing I ever did with electronic music, um, I decided that my my name would be Project Metal Beast. <laughs> um, so if you search MySpace Project Metal Beast, you can probably still find my earliest, like most uh, primitive sounding electronic weird uh, experimental music under the name Project Metal Beast. Awesome. Fits. So. Uh, uh, that's that's my fondness. I don't remember anything about the movie, other than the opening. It's um, it's pre- I mean, the, the reason I like it is not because it's smart or clever, but because it maintains. It's one of those bad movies that maintains a certain level of interest the whole way through. Yeah. Um. Okay. Then I got Curse Two: The Bite, which is a sequel in name only to the H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Color of Outer Space, uh, adaptation, The Curse. Don't know why they decided to call this movie Curse 2. And I can't remember what its alternate title is, which makes more sense. But what it is, is it's like... I think its alternate title is Last House on the Left 5. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but what it is, is it's a movie about a couple that's driving cross-country. And they're said, hey, uh, we have a problem with radioactive snakes on that highway, so don't go that way. And they go, hey, you know what? Fuck that. We're going to go that way because it's shorter. And then the husband, or I can't remember if it's husband or boyfriend or fiance or whatever, gets bit by a radioactive snake and slowly starts to become a radioactive snake himself. That's really good. Which (laughs) involves uh, these, uh, what is his name? Screaming Mad George makeup effects um, that just get uh, crazier and crazier as it goes on to the point where at the end of the movie, he's chasing his girlfriend and just vomiting snakes at her. (laughs) <laughs> um, and there's part where his hand turns into a snake and bites his nurse. I mean, it's, and, and, and while all this is going on, um, uh, oh God, now I can't remember his name either. Um, he used to be on MASH. Oh, Jamie Farr, the crossdresser from MASH is this. Uh, doctor who has given him medication. He is like an off-duty, like like not real doctor who has this miracle cure that he gives this guy and is convinced that the reason he is mutating and sick in the hospital, because they meet him on the road, so he doesn't really know him, is because of the stuff he's given him. And so it, while all this is going on, you have this this amateur doctor trying to cure the guy so he won't get sued. Um. That's his. That's his fear. Not that he'll get in trouble. But what year is this from? Uh, eighty nine. Like eighty nine. Okay. And what's the seventh curse? Okay, the seventh curse is um, sort of like if you took uh, Indiana Jones uh, and replaced him with uh, uh, Chai Yun Fat, 
and made it a contemporary movie. Placed him with Shia and Fat. Actually, kind of split his him between Shia and Fat and uh, uh, oh god, now I can't remember his name. A, a younger actor, uh, and Maggie Chun is in it. A lot of great actors, and it it's a kind of action horror take on on this sort of looking for a uh, uh, looking for lost tribes and uh, and. Uh, golden uh you know trinkets and crap like that uh and it's it's really high energy and it's way gorier than i remember it being every time i watch it i remember (laughs) i forget how gory it is um it's one that's only on dvd i think uh but it's really amusing and chayun fat's really great in it death laid an egg what's death laid an egg is the most uh, it's it's the, the most greatest horror movie title ever. Well, okay, it's it's actually a giallo, so it's arguable it's not a horror movie, but it's by a guy who makes mostly experimental weirdo movies. Like he made one of my favorite spaghetti westerns, um, uh, called uh, Django Kill, which is almost a horror movie. Um, and I'm so bad at pronouncing Italian names, but it is uh, uh, Guilio uh, Quisti. Questy, maybe. Um, and it's about a guy who wants to murder his wife and is in development. He works at a chicken factory where they make the meat, and he is in development of – well, all this stuff is happening where he wants to murder his wife and is hallucinating that he wants to murder his wife and all this stuff. Uh, his One of his coworkers has uh, made an advanced prototype chicken that doesn't grow a head, and it's just meat. And so they have this awesome – uh, gold mine of these chickens that are just nothing but meat uh, that they're going to make all kinds of money off of and he decides that they are a uh, monstrosity and takes them out back and crushes them with a shovel <clears throat> and it's really dramatic the whole movie is super dramatic and it's it's really underrated and it's really well made um, and I don't think it's ever going to get a US DVD release I'm really sad about that um Okay, yeah, and As, As, As Aswang Wang is a really low budget uh, movie that it's kind of an Evil Dead take on the As, Aswang myth, which is a creature that uh, a Filipino creature that sucks uh, the blood of fetuses out of uh, pregnant women. But it kind of turns into a uh, uh, a situation where the the Aswangs look like humans and are trying to. Uh, uh, get her to feed like without telling her what they're doing they're trying to get this girl to f- give them her baby uh, <laughs> and uh, and a lot of crazy stuff happens and it's really like energetic wacky just gory flying around cameras and stuff like that uh, it's very Evil Dead-esque um and I think that one's still available on DVD. I don't think that's out of print. Baby Blood? Baby Blood is uh, a French horror movie um, from the 80s uh, that was also called... Uh, uh, it come to me. Uh, something like A Terror Within or something like that, which uh, is one of the few times where you will suggest a 
American dubbed version because it is about this woman who has this demon fetus inside of her that craves blood. So on the simplest level, it's this woman running Sounds around. Sounds like a job for an asswong. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but uh, yeah, I, maybe that's why I put both of them on here because I was thinking of them that way. But it, she um, she is killing people and, and drinking their blood on behalf of this this ancient... And it's not just a monster. It is described as, as the oldest thing on Earth. Like it, it killed, <laughs> It's like something that killed the dinosaurs and went into to hiding. The oldest thing on earth. Yeah. What, what am I pregnant with? You're pregnant with the oldest thing on earth. And and so in the French version, it talks to her. Like it's the fetus talks to her because it's you know sentient. Um, and and the U.S. version, the dub is actually better because in the French version, it talks with a little baby voice. Like they've sped up. Um, they've just sped up the the tape. But in uh in English, it talks in this very contemplative, almost like Hal voice and it adds a lot because he's asking her like these questions like like mommy what does this mean and mommy what does that mean and it's it it adds a lot to the the whole thing the evil within that's what it's called horrors of the of malformed men what's this horrors of malformed men is almost impossible to describe it's basically a uh it it's it's an anthology without being an anthology that sort of tries to attach these stories um and it's based on uh um uh uh rampo uh it's a it's the japanese equivalent of uh um of edgar Allan poe okay uh, oh yes oh, okay i'm familiar with him yeah and so they took a bunch of his stories and sort of tied them together um and so, so there's a bunch of kind of short like it's a guy kind of experiencing this uh insane asylum and and learning about all these stories and so there's some that are just more straight horror like like uh uh guy whose hands are kind of like flippers but one of the better ones is a man who has sewn himself into a couch so that women will sit on him um and it's it's really well shot and it's really colorful and it's got this sort of there was this late 60s vibe to a lot of those lower budget Japanese movies where they used really wide widescreen and they would do a lot of Dutch angles and uh, it's and it's a it's surprisingly violent for how old it is too. Um, not particularly convincing effects, but cool. Um, and then the Hunchbacker Rue Morgue uh, is the best. Uh, Paul Nache was a Spanish. He died pretty recently. He was a Spanish. Uh, writer, star, and occasional director of, of very traditional gothic horror movies. Um, he was most famous for playing uh, uh, the Wolfman, El Hombre Lobo, um, through a series of movies. Um, but he also made ghost movies, and uh, he made a giallo. Um, and I think Hunchback of Rumorg is his best movie, where he plays the Hunchback of Rumorg. And uh, it's sort of a, a more vicious takeoff on a Hunchback of Notre Dame, where he's more of a villain, but he's also, like, he's a murderer and a villain. He has, like, a friend who keeps a, uh, just pile of body parts in a jar. Um, he's more of a what, what era is this? I'm trying to remember what it, because it's so anachronistic, I believe, because there's someone in a wheelchair, so it takes place after wheelchairs have been invented. But it also... What, I mean, like, I mean, like, what, what year oh, was it Oh, what made? year was it made? It was made in the, in the 70s. Okay. Um, early, early seventy. Um, and uh, 
it it has a sort of uh heart to it that most of these movies don't have like you actually uh-huh. like the character um and is for some reason not considered one of the favorites among his movies most people prefer his werewolf movies but i think those are kind of boring uh for the most part they look nice but 1973 i just looked it up cool so there's 10 more to add to your list that's good because we, we didn't have enough yeah no this wasn't long enough <laughs> it was fantastic um gabe thank you for being on thank you for having me I never, ever, ever be able to get through this uh, without you. I wouldn't know when half of these things are. <laughs> um, these movies are. So hopefully if you're listening, um, you now have a bunch of movies that have sounded interesting to you and you're going to check out. Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I shouldn't prolong this episode anymore. Just go to directorsclubpodcast.com. Uh, you can send us emails at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, send us emails. Uh, what movies do we leave out that made you upset me personally i can think of cat people drag me to hell the hitcher you know what i'm gonna do next year gabe what's that next year we're gonna do the same thing but every single movie on this list will be off limits there you go yeah and just keep doing that until keep you're doing down that to until the literally dregs. everyone is just like uh yeah prom night four <laughs> <laughs> prom night four got 15 votes yeah yeah i like that um, idea no, I'm totally going to – we're going to do this next year and all of these movies are going to be off limits. So if you sent a list this year, holy shit, uh, try to think of another one. I know we had some listeners who were like – who were kind of upset at the off limits list and said, I'm, I'm not sure what else I can add. Uh, and But I, th- I think this, this, this podcast has proved that the, the world of horror is crazy big um, and goes everywhere and – Anytime you think you have a grasp of it, there's just a whole world. Like in this one little uh, Gabe's Extra Special Rarities list, just that one section about Hunchback of Rue I learned about this seminal uh, Spanish writer, actor who I've never heard of and I had no idea those movies existed. Yeah, there's a lot of them. If you ever get interested, Paul Nache movies. Uh could, uh, his real name is uh, Juancito Molina Alvarez, but he changed it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyhow, the, there's a lot. There's a lot out there, and uh, I think digging is very rewarding. Um, at any rate, uh, sorry this couldn't come out by Halloween, but uh, you know, a lot to prepare. Um, hopefully, you'll still enjoy it. Um, have a nice day. Goodbye. Bye.